Hello, everybody. Welcome to King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. We're coming at you uh, on June 9th, 2018, a day that will uh, really have to just go down in history for wrestling fans, especially fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, We are going to talk about Dominion uh, in depth, but before we do that, we thought we would go ahead and just throw out what is really the only kind of newsworthy stuff that we haven't already covered in our latest episode um, that previewed Dominion and wrapped up the best of the Super Juniors, and that's that we've got a few shows coming up, um, basically between when we're dropping this and getting to the next one. Um, But before we get specifically to those, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. How about yourself? Yeah. Ah, man, yeah, uh, just awesome. I've been yeah, I've I'm been like, up since like five o'clock this morning because I didn't watch everything live, but I ended up watching like the main event live. So I'm I'm yeah, but hey, I'm I'm great. <laughs> uh, I didn't wake up because I was sick earlier in the week and it just took its toll on me all week. I didn't have the energy to wake up early, but so I just watched it when I woke up. But I'm like emotionally drained right now, like yeah. watching that wrestling program and, and the way that everything went. It was you know. And, and it was, you know, five and a half hours almost. It was a long show, but it was worth every second of it. Yeah, it definitely was. And we're, like I said, we're going to go deep on it. But before we do that, um, again, we've got some shows coming up. Uh, again, personal favorite of mine, as we've talked about. We've got Lionsgate Project, number 13, on June 13th, um, Wednesday, June 13th. And uh, obviously that'll be up on um, New Japan World. And uh, our match lineup here, we've got... Um, We've got five yeah. matches. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. What are we open with? Uh, the, the first match is a 10 minute limit. Uh, you have Yotosuji versus Yuya Yumanara. So you have a nice look, you know, which you should have. You have a, you open with the Young Lions match, which makes sense on the Lionsgate Project show. Yeah. Um, you come in right behind that. You have your second match with the 20 minute li- uh, limit. You have Ren Narita taking on Shinsuke Sayama. Yeah, who is a uh, Kaintai Dojo guy. He's also wrestled a lot for Wrestle One um, and a few other uh, independent promotions in Japan. Um, but this this show, it's interesting because all of the sort of outside talent, all of them are from Kaintai, uh, which in the past, you know, some of them Kaintai, some have been from Big Japan, etc. So uh, just worth noting that uh, Shunsuke is from uh, Kaintai Dojo. Um, but I think his last match was actually, like I said, in Wrestle One. Okay. See, that's why we have you here. You have to fill in all this information for the guys that I don't know. Um, The third match, 20-minute time limit, it's a tag match. You have Dinosaur Takama and uh, Tenzan taking on Toa Hinari and Minabu Nakanishi. Now, you have any guess who I want to win this match, Sam, and how? You know, I'm going on a limb here, but I think you want to see a Toa bottom. I do. (laughs) I have no love loss here. Like, I'm not a fan of Toa Hinari. I just can't wait to actually be able to say that as a result on one of these shows. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, man. I'm with you 100%. I, 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 you know, it's so weird because I feel like there's going to come a time when we really, truly can appreciate him, but right now, yeah. It's not just him. him, it's how awful that the finishing move name is. Yeah, right, you know, right, right. The combination. I hope someday we can look at it with reverence, but we shall see. In the meantime. <laughs> yes, the fourth match, 30-minute time limit. One of our favorites, Yuji Nagata, takes on my favorite young lion, Oka. Yeah, this you know this one should be actually uh, a damn good match. Uh, I think you know obviously Oka's going to get schooled, but he's going to get some good shots in. Nagata's probably going to you know bring it, and, and that should be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of fun to watch, how about the fifth match? Yeah, the, the main event of the night, thirty minute time limit. You have Shota Yumino versus Ayoto Yoshida. 
And now, for those who, if you're not, if you don't remember, Lionsgate Project Twelve, Yoshida was in the main event against um, Nagata, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, that's so correct. This is his. He's back to back here in the main events. Yeah, he's actually had um, uh, what three? Now? Well, no, wait. Was that it was it was ten? So he was in this. He was in the fourth match. The show before that. Okay, that's right. I which believe. was the tag the third, match? Yeah, it was like the third or the fourth match because he came back out to give some shit to Nagata. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, Yoshida getting uh, another spotlight shown on him, um, which I think is. Absolutely well deserved, and uh, Umino, uh, you know, he's he's probably my favorite young lion right now. So uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see this one, and uh, we'll obviously cover that on the next episode. But moving right along, uh, we do have New Japan's next uh, tour up, uh, which will be Kizuna Road, um, and we've got uh, shows on Friday, June fifteenth, Sunday, June seventeenth, and even though we'll have an episode out before this, probably Monday, June eighteenth, will also be a show in Korakuen Hall, and then we've got. Uh, another Corcoran Hall show, which is the Super Strong Machine Retirement Ceremony on Tuesday, June 19th. Yeah, um, they have some shows after that, but we will cover that on our next um, podcast. And to be honest with you, there's no match lineups yet for any of these, so there's really nothing to talk about other than these shows will happen. Yeah, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the... the um the match lineups uh, this coming week. I wouldn't be at all surprised if by tomorrow or Monday we we don't have the match lineup for the G1 special, and I think the Kazuna Road stuff will probably come at, at the same time. Um, you know, it's worth noting real quick. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, on our next episode. But Super Strong Machine, you know, is certainly kind of a, a bit of an institution in New Japan. Um, you know, he debuted um, Junji Hirata in 1978 um, against Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and uh, you know after he went on his excursion to Mexico and Canada. He came back um, as Super Strong Machine. In fact, I think he actually created, or the gimmick was kind of created and tested out in Stampede, uh, Stu Hart's uh, uh, territory, before he came to uh, back to Japan. But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about that uh, uh, next time around. This time, we just want to dedicate as much time as we possibly can to what yeah, to, to I got to say, this yeah. tiny little show that just took place. And, and I got to say, you know, I've tweeted out as much already. This might be from top to bottom one of the best wrestling shows I have ever seen. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I you know, I always try to hold back a little bit because you get that knee jerk reaction anytime something's great. Oh, it was the best I ever saw. Like you go to the movies and you see something. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the best movie I've ever saw. But sure. I mean, if you look at it, right. And we'll go into each match in depth. Just if the, the junior tag match to start. Then yeah. you had the ta- the regular tag matches back to back. The three way da- the three way for the never open weight title, and then the tag t- the tag match and the six man tag. Just those were a pretty solid card altogether. But when you get to the last three matches of this card, you name me. First of all, find me three matches that will happen this year that are better than any one of these matches. Right. You find me any wrestling show ever that's had three matches in a row like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, there's only, there's really, in my mind, there's really only two other matches that have happened this year so far that I would even put on par with those three matches. And that's the Best of the Super Juniors final between Ishimori and Hiromu and the Kenny Omega uh, Chris Jericho match at Wrestle Kingdom. I, I honestly don't know that there are any other matches that I would be able to put on par with um, these. I mean, Tanahashi, I, Okada, but... Are we nah. limited to just New Japan? Because I really... 
I, I mean, I'm hard pressed if you want to talk about matches of the year to at least not mention the Johnny Gargano, Johnny Gargano yeah. match. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know or, I, or the Johnny Gargano Andre Hade say in almost match as well. Absolutely, but and if I, we're going to limit to New Japan and those matches. I mean, they weren't as good, as great as they were. They weren't on par with this main event. You know, they no. might be on par with the other two, but right. And I, you know, I, I yes, there's no doubt because I, I took WWE to task today um, on Twitter just because they've been such a fucking dumpster you fire. Called them a dumpster fire. Yeah, I did, see that. I, I did man, and, and I even added them. Not that they're reading it, but whatever. Um, but anyway, I, I kind of took them to task today. So to be fair, you're absolutely right. I mean, those two NXT matches are are definitely in the conversation. I mean, if we were going to put together like our top ten matches right now. Yeah, they'd, they, be they, they'd be in the yeah they'd be in the list so but anyway um so that aside yeah let's let's talk about the open of the show because we got um uh, you know firsthand opportunity here to hear from uh harold may which i i thought I, was really cool i was shocked yeah i thought it was really cool in fact i texted you i'm like wow because like when he took over i thought he'd be he wouldn't be on camera like i, I he's not gonna be on all the time like he's not gonna right. be no. part of the story but they did the little video with him, like, in New York, and he gets the phone call. I'm like, wow, that was pretty neat. Yeah, it was very slickly produced. Yes, it was slickly produced. And then I'm like, wow, he's actually there. And then he blows my mind. He ran to the ring and slid under the bottom rope. Yeah. I I thought that was great. Yeah. I loved it. And then he gets in, he speaks in two different languages, he addresses the crowd. He doesn't say anything, you know, that's going to be earth-shattering, but, you know, he does draw attention to the fact that they now consider themselves a worldwide company. Yes. And they're gonna and they're gonna act like it. And and that sentiment almost exactly is we'll get to it, is said by Kenny Omega at the end of the show. Yeah. Almost it, verbatim. He's like, Well, we're a global company, so It know, was and, Yeah, it it really set a tone, honestly. I, I felt like it was sort of here's the new boss. Here's you know, what he hopes and dreams for the company for the future. And then everybody in the company went out there and worked hard and and just, I think, exceeded expectations, which, again, man, that is really saying something because there were some pretty lofty expectations, especially yes. on the junior heavyweight match and the, and the heavyweight match. You know, those two matches yeah. had a lot of expectations put on them. So every I, single match on this card at worst met my expectation. Right, right, absolutely. No, no match underperformed. Like, you, you have to be realistic in what you expect from each of these matches. You know, but even matches that, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll get into it. I, what we just say was, the, I don't want to say worst match of the night because that's completely unfair, maybe the least best because they were all fantastic. Even that, which might have been like the six-man match, for example, met my, complete, completely met, at least met my expectations of what I was hoping for. Absolutely, and the thing that was incredible about that... Actually, you know what? No, no I'm going to save what I was going to say until we get to the match, because there's, right. there's a couple of notable things about it. So, anyway, yeah, Harold May, I thought, you know, the other thing that's worth noting, like you said, he spoke in two languages. Not only did he speak in two languages, he spoke in two languages flawlessly. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like, this guy, this guy, you know, is clearly a very smart individual. He's lived in Japan for most of his life, um, and, you know, we, we talked about his resume earlier, so I don't need to rehash that, but he seemed excited 
excited and passionate, and that was just awesome. And, yeah, and the he fact wanted that he, to get across to how much he loves professional wrestling. Yeah, how much he loves New Japan. Like, and I thought it was a slick little touch when he put about how he was young watching Fujinami, but mm-hmm. he really got into it ten years ago with Nakamura and Tanahashi. Yeah, like a little name dropping. I get it, but it shows that you know, even if that he legitimately likes the product. Here, here's my question to you. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Does Harold May becoming the president, did that dictate the booking of this card? Or would this card have worked out that way anyway? It's just coincidence. Because this card was booked to take on North America. Yeah. Uh, So here's, I I believe that... um, Or is it 50-50? The, the well, I don't think the main event was going to go any other way than what it went. I, I think that that was Ghetto from the beginning. That was what he wanted. Uh, that's been the culmination of this particular storyline. It, it, it doesn't feel like that got changed. The only thing that I would say possibly, and even then it's really hard for me to second guess this, would maybe be, um, maybe be Jericho. Maybe the tag titles. But even then it just kind of feels like, I don't know. I feel like Ghetto wants to throw curveballs every once in a while. He's really good friends with Jericho. You know, they, clearly they've been building something with Jericho this whole time. I, it's good for business. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say no. Um, that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out, you know, a year from now or whatever, that, yes, they, there were some changes made yeah. because of that. I wouldn't be surprised. I agree. I agree. I think that the changes were made. I don't think they were necessarily made because of Harold May. I think they may have been made to try to help move some tickets for the Cow Palace show. Sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because this is going to feed right into it. But why don't we just get into the card? Yeah, let's do it. And let me say, you know what? I, I was trying to take notes during this show, but at certain points, especially like towards the end, I have like just stretches where I got so enthralled in the match, I didn't, I forgot. I just yeah. wasn't even writing stuff down. So well, I'm trying to do a lot of this off the top of my head, but. We open oh, up with... Oh, I just ahead. want to I'm say cool, uh, one, one thing. For full disclosure, I did actually, um, because I'm a crazy man, but I did actually watch the main event twice. So <laughs> so uh, that should tell you something right off the bat about how awesome I thought this show was. But anyway, um, yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so the night opens up after the Harold May thing. We, the first match on the card is a 60-minute time limit for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship, you have the champions El Desperado and y- Yoshinobu Kanemaru taking on the team of Sho and Yo, otherwise known as Rapungi 3K. Um, I don't. What did you think of this, Sam? I thought it was great. I loved, you know, I, I love the way that they went with the belt shots right off the get go to try to, you know, just just stick it to Sho and Yo, and it didn't work out. You had the yeah, stereo they were ready for the attack, yeah. Yeah, they had they had those stereo dives, uh, which were which were awesome. Um, I thought, you know, it's funny because we had talked about this through the best of the Super Juniors about how Sho and Yo together are greater than Sho and Yo apart, at least as far as Yo is concerned. Um, yeah. And this was absolutely evidence of that because I thought, you know, Yo looked great. I think now that we've seen Sho the way that we have, though, anytime he was in the ring by himself, uh, I. I 
I probably sat up a little straighter, took a little more notice, if you will. Uh, but I thought the match was a hell of a lot of fun. I, I love the fact that the um, that the uh, Suntory surprise did not work, uh, and, and that uh, Kanemaru ended up spraying Desperado with it instead. Um, I, yeah, I really liked this. I thought it was a perfect way to start the night off. Um, and I'm I'm glad, and I mean they were my pick anyway. I'm glad that Desperado and Kanemaru won. I'm glad they won the way that they did. I think the door is clearly left open for uh, showing yo to to make another challenge and you know I thought Rocky calling them punk ass bitches afterwards and everything is yeah that was is, funny it's a clear sign that yeah that we're gonna get this match probably again and I think it's only a matter of time before showing yo have those belts but I think that the fact that even Kevin Kelly pointed out and who by the way Kevin Kelly was on point tonight like he was just yes. great all night long uh, even pointed out the fact that this is like the longest IWGP junior heavyweight tag uh, title reign in like two yeah, years and, and it was only like 92 or 97 days yeah <laughs> that just shows you how these belts can, have been hot potatoed mm-hmm. um I, I, my take on as far i love the match now as far as the outcome i wanted cho and yo to win yeah. i don't have a, a problem with suzuki gun retaining and i guess you know one byproduct of that like you said is, is some it's not going to hurt to have some stability right. um i just like Sho and yo i think they work as the chance but like you said it's good this is far from over Right. Gonna continue this. Um, my takeaway is like when Sho gets in there and does the deadlift German, it just oh. shows how strong he is for a man his size. Right. And I absolutely like I know I know the um, the shock arrow is his finishing move and it's a cool move. But am I the only one who likes better when he does the last ride right into the lung blower? I almost wish that was his finishing move because uh, yeah, when I man. see him do the shock arrow, it reminds me too much of watching like Chase Owens' finishing move. It's basically the same thing. He just cradles the hands. Yeah, I don't know. I really like the shock arrow. I, I really I, do, I, but I, I, I get it's what not you're that saying. I dislike it, but I just when he does that last. Uh, and here's the thing too: if you're gonna be uh, if you're gonna build show up, right? Any junior could do the shock arrow. Can any junior put a, do the last ride? Get a guy that high to, into the lung blower? Like it shows off his strength more. I get that. Yeah, I, I totally get that. It, you know, it's interesting because I think what we have seen, you know, even if you look at like Hiromu and Osprey, for instance, is that they have an arsenal um, that, yeah, you, you look at something like the shock arrow and that's kind of the finishing move. Uh, but when you look at like that last ride lung blower or you look at, at like the... Um, the dynamite plunge compared to the time bomb or the D or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and with the Stormbreaker, the Oscar cutter, etc. I, I, I think that there's a depth to the move sets, especially of the juniors, not just of the juniors, but especially well, of the juniors that, that perhaps, um, but here's know. the difference. Here's the slight difference to me. Like you take like Osprey has multiple moves. Uh, Hiromu has multiple moves, right? But like Osprey will do a, an Oscar cutter and get a pin out of it. He will do, the Stormbreaker and get a pin out of it where show never gets the three count from that move. Like okay, I almost yeah, wish sure. that sometimes if he did it, he got a three count to make that, give him two different ways to get you. Yeah. If that makes sense. If it does I make mean, sense. We might, we might see that more eventually when he's on his own. Yes. Because right now, a lot of times you're going to build up to three K anyway. And you I, know? you know what? It's funny that you say, cause literally what I was just getting ready to say is, is because of the way and this is not exclusive to New Japan. All Japan was doing this, you know, a lot in, in the late 80s and, and all through the 90s as well. Noah has done it before. Um, is that oftentimes when you have a young talent, 
their move set. It's, it's just kind of think of the way with the long, young lions. They're they're restricted to using certain moves, and then they add a new move in here. They add another move here, there, and before you know it, they're you know it's one of those things where as they build the wrestlers through time, moves become more potent and more important. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that we will see show probably get some victories with that lung blower. And, and I think that you'll also see him use the shock arrow and I'm not going to be at all surprised when we see him add like another big move to his arsenal too. Uh, But I I mean, I get where you're coming from. Totally. All right. I also like to, like we, we talked about the finish that Kanemaro was able to hit show with the bottle, the whiskey bottle. Yeah, to, for them to get the win doesn't hurt them at all. So no. it moves moves it along. It doesn't hurt the team. It, uh, stability with the titles. Nine minutes twenty nine seconds. So basically ten minute match. You're in. You're out. But they got a lot done in that ten minutes. Um, it actually ended with the LS Curlo for the pin. But it was after Kenamaro hit show with the Centauri bottle. Right. So yeah, I mean that's anything else you want to add to that. Uh, I just thought it was a perfect oh. opener. I, you know you, what I mean. You, and you correctly called that I did not. Well, just know. for the record. Well, that's... I want to be fair about these things because there's, <laughs> there's, that's going to happen. It's going to be the opposite in some of these matches too. Yes, sir. There's one that I call. So we we both called six out of nine correctly. Just for the record. Wow, how about that, yeah. man? Look at you with all the stats. I knew you would well, be. Well, yeah. Well, for for those I playing along at home, something. Paul Paul is like Paul's the sports guy. Like he knows stuff about sports that I because like, I'm pretty oblivious when it comes to a lot of sports, but. This guy here, I, I mean, you want to know who was playing on the Phillies in 1987 and who hit the most home runs? He'll probably be able to tell. Mike you. Schmidt. <laughs> I know that for a fact. I kind of I threw him a softball there, but that's yeah, besides that the point. <laughs> My favorite player to ever play the game. Well, that's right. Anyway, so we and, move uh, on to the second match. We have a 30-minute, yes. and I love how they build these, a special tag match. Because <laughs> anything that's not a title match is a special match. But right. um, you have David Finley and Juice Robinson took on the team of Yoshihashi and Jay White. The Chaos team goes 7 minutes, 26 seconds. It ends, as we both correctly predicted, with Juice Robinson hitting Pulp Friction for the pin on Jay White. Yeah. We both, we both called that exact, so... But it just made a lot of sense, didn't it? it? Right, right. And the thing is, is that I think something that we can, we'll go back to a couple of times as we progress through the evening is that when New Japan doesn't necessarily surprise you with a finish, it makes so much sense that you're so satisfied that you don't care that you saw it coming. And I think that that's part of the art of professional wrestling is being able to you know, give people what they want or maybe even what they expect, but because it makes so much sense and it's done so well, you're not sitting there upset over the fact that you didn't, that, you know, that you saw it coming. No, if you do something correctly, you can give the audience exactly what everybody in the world can see coming and still leave them satisfied. Yeah. And I mean, even we, and you were pretty harsh on WWE today, understandably, but they've almost accidentally done it a few times themselves. Like the Daniel Bryan win at WrestleMania 30. Everybody right. in the free world could see that coming. But yes. yet it was so satisfying when it happened that you didn't care. It's just that WWE very rarely does it, where New Japan... If, if they're going to give you the obvious, like you said, they do it in a satisfying way that doesn't make you feel like, well, I saw that coming. Yeah. Like, we both figured this was the most logical outcome to this match to continue a storyline. And then I enjoyed the entire match. And then, right. and then I enjoyed the ending. Exactly. And that's definitely something that I want to say is that I felt like for, you know, for a sub eight minute match, because that's what it was. It was a hell of a lot of fun. They got a lot of stuff in and it told a nice story. And I think one of the really cool things that came out of it is that 
especially because I don't think there's going to be any friction, no pun intended, you could tell that Finley was a little disappointed that, you know, Juice ended up getting the pinfall on Jay White, that he wasn't able to do it. And so I think that the brilliant thing that it does is, again, you know, paying attention to the bigger story at play here is that Finley is still obsessed, not obsessed, that might be putting it too strongly, but is still chasing White. And the fact he that has he has that monkey on his back. Exactly. And they draw attention to it constantly. Like, even in this match, Kevin Kelly made sure we know that his personal record against Jay White is not good. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a constant reminder. And even if you want to kayfabe this thing, no matter what you do, if you constantly do something in life and, and don't succeed at it, the last thing you want is everybody bringing it up into your face again. Right. Well, and so, and for your for your best friend, if you will, to then be able to kind of accomplish it, which, funny enough, I think will kind of play into the main event a little bit as well. But we'll get there. We will get there. But like you said, for a sub-eight-minute match, it was it was good. Um, yeah. You know, you figured you were gonna if we if this is the way it played out, you were gonna have Juice then basically challenge Jay White, which yeah, he right. he didn't just subtly do it. He did it like for the whole world to see, grabbing the belt and celebrating, and then he dropped it on him. Um, you know, it, it it's it was a good solid match. It's exactly what we we wanted, and you know, it, there's not a lot to talk about because it moves the story along. But for the second match on a card, how can you complain? Right, exactly. And it was a match, like you said, 7 minutes and forty and 26 seconds. It made Juice look good, gets him the title shot. It makes Jay White look exactly how it should he should look. But I thought it even did a good job, like you said, of making Finley and Yoshihashi come out of this okay. Like Absolutely. Yoshihashi, even when the match started, was like, to Jay White, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You know, and then Jay White goes in the corner, he's beaten, and then Jay, like, you could see Yoshihashi has his hands up, like, what are you doing? Jay White just points, and Yoshihashi nods, like, okay, and starts double-teaming him, too. Yeah, like he's yeah. just following his lead. <laughs> call me crazy, and 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 there are probably fans out there of Yoshihashi that will call me crazy. But I felt like, for me, whatever reason in this match, you know, he he kind of popped in a way that he hasn't recently, and and it made me take a little bit more notice. And I'm not saying that like, oh my god, he was incredible in this match, and holy shit, I need to pay more attention to him. But it just he he sort of had a little bit more life to him um, as opposed to some more recent performances where he just kind of feels like a guy who's there. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate that. Saying. I kind of like if they're going to keep this chaos thing going, even if Jay White isn't going to constantly tag with them. I would have, if I was booking this stuff, and what do I know, but I would have Yoshihashi with Jay White as much as I can and yeah. have him start to pick up a little bit of his tendencies, not go full rogue heel on us, but, you know, maybe gets a little underhanded more than he does. He follows Jay White's lead. Like, if Jay White has a single match, let Yoshihashi second him. Yeah, I like you know, that. Like, it gives Yoshihashi a little bit of an edge. Right. You know, and it, it's tough because he looks like Paula Dean wrestling, but, you know, <laughs> with that hair... But, uh, yeah, I mean, Yoshihashi usually turns on solid performances, but that's just the problem. They're solid, but there's not, there's not a lot of substance. Put them with Jay White and give them a little bit of an edge. And they're already in the same stable, so it's not like it's a stretch. Right, right. You know, another thing about this match, too, that I will say is, is that I, I, I like Juice Robinson, but I think that anybody who's listened to the podcast knows that I'm not necessarily like, holy shit, Juice, yeah, I'm I love Juice. I'm than you. Exactly. But... After this match, and, and you know what it was for me, and this is going to sound stupid because he didn't necessarily do anything different than what he does when he normally comes to the ring. There was just something about his entrance. Maybe it was the fact that I'd been up since 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. Whatever it was, there's something about his entrance that I just, I felt a little bit more connected to him, and I can't explain it. 
And and I, I, I don't know. I, I thought that him winning the match the way that he did, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to and I am excited about the Jay White Juice Robinson match. And I'm hoping that it gets you know it's at the G1 special. I think that it will be. Uh, and I think there's a very good chance that Juice could walk out with that U.S. title. I agree. Now, speaking of matches that are, uh, lead into a bigger storyline, mm-hmm. let's jump ahead. Mm-hmm. The third match, another special tag match with a 30-minute time limit. You have the Chaos team of Toru Yano and Tomohiro Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki of Suzuki-Goon. The match goes 8 minutes, 42 seconds, and it ends with Zack Sabre Jr. tapping out Yano with what they're calling a modified Jim Breaks arm breaker. Um... Let me just state for the record, I can watch Suzuki and Ishii go at it all Holy day long. Holy shit, yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, it's not just that they're both strong, and it's the way that they sell it, the look in their eyes. Like, when you look at Ishii, I know physically, but just look at his facial expressions, he looks like a complete badass. Yeah. And Suzuki looks like a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> yes, really he does. does. His facial expressions look like, make, make him look like a, he's psychotic. Yeah. And and then you you I love the pairing too because you have him doing that and you couple him with Zack Saber Jr. who is just cool, like yeah. he is cool oh. under fire and he's going to tap you out like yeah. just get, you know what I mean. It's, and then you have the comedy guy in Yano who listen I don't have a problem with Yano I can only take him in small doses, like I wouldn't want to sit through a twenty five minute Yano match. Sure, but you know eight minutes forty two seconds and he's only partially in there that's fine. But the whole thing works, you know what I mean? I mean, Zach's so amazingly smooth when he does submissions. Dude, one of my I favorite mean, spots of the entire match, maybe even the entire night, and that's saying something, was when Yano went for the low blow. Oh, and he caught him? Sabre caught him with his knees and then did that twist, which looked like it broke his fucking arm. I was just like, holy shit, that's awesome. And and the thing is, is you know, Zach Sabre is somebody who I've been pretty high on for probably about four years. I saw him... Um, it was, uh, it was Bola, uh, PWG t- 2014, him and, uh, Kyle O'Reilly. And I remember watching that match and I, I liked Kyle O'Reilly a lot going into the match, but for me, it was one of the first times I think I'd ever seen Zack Sabre Jr. And I was just like, wow, this guy is incredible. This match is incredible. It's very different from a lot of stuff that I normally see. Uh, and, and, and he's only grown, you know, in my eyes since then. And I thought he was pretty awesome then. And now... He just looks so damn good in the ring and, and like everything he does and the double teams that he and Suzuki were doing, like the double team submissions oh. and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. and then they'll switch, like right in the middle, they'll switch who yeah. goes the arm and who goes the legs. Yeah. yeah and that's the thing. We've talked about this before, that the way that like not to make the comparison, but but it just is the first thing that popped into my mind. Like the Roman Reigns Samoa Joe match, where Joe had Reigns in like the Coquina clutch for what seemed like forever. There was no action to it. But the thing is, is that you know Sabre Junior and Suzuki are using these submission moves, but they're doing them in such an active fashion, and they're being sold in such an incredible way that you just can't help but be kind of riveted by it, and and I think that that's kind of unique, because it's we don't see that enough, and it's a really yeah, cool thing. He doesn't sit in one hold. Right. He'll modify it constantly, and move around a little bit, or do something, just swing an arm back, just enough that it's not the same thing over and over, like, uh, straight. Yeah. But you know, and he he's a perfect addition. They put him in a perfect spot with Suzuki too. Yeah. Put him I in agree. that stable. And and I love Takamichi Nuku as his hype man. Oh my god, yes. I just love it. 
I don't know why. It's one of those things I can't explain. I just love the combination of his Japanese and English, and he's yeah, like his it's, his thing is the same every time, but it just works. There's actually somebody on Twitter, and I, I can't remember who it was, so apologies. Uh, if you're out there, feel free to just hit me uh, on Twitter and say, like, dumbass, it was me. Uh, but somebody on Twitter was joking about how, uh, um, you know, as much as they had missed Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., that they really had missed Taka in particular in his introductions. And, and like, the fact that, you know, Taka was back was, was the most important thing for him. So, or her, Oh, uh, yeah, when they was. came out, Suzuki came out first, yep. up the steps, and then Zack. And when I saw Taka, I popped. I'm like, sweet Taka's coming out with them. Like, yeah. It was one of those kind of moments. But, I mean, you have the match goes, it was a good match. There was a lot of back and forth between Suzuki and, and Ishii. You get the other guys in. It ends with Zack Sabre Jr. pinning Tana, um, Toriano. But what happens after the match is what is probably the most important thing. Suzuki yeah. and, and Zack Sabre Jr. go up the ramp. And it was, a, yeah, they went up the ramp and Ishii went after them, correct? Uh, yeah, he ran after Suzuki after the match, yeah, and then they brawled yeah. up the, on the ramp. They brawled all the way back. Yep. They wind up both getting into the ring with chairs. They swing the chairs at each other once and hit. They swing it a second time. Suzuki knocks Ishii's chair out of his hand and then cracks him over the back. They keep brawling. Um, eventually, all the young lines are out. They have to be separated. They get they get them all. They get Ishii all the way to the back, and then Suzuki breaks away and goes after him again all the way to the back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I was getting ready to say this a little bit earlier, actually. But um, as much as we were talking about some of the other stuff, the focus of this match, rightfully so, is on the the build to Suzuki versus Ishii. And it's one of those matches that we need. Um, And I think that it doesn't need to have a belt. It doesn't need to have anything other than the fact that these two guys just want to beat the shit out of one another to prove who is the toughest. And I think that the build that we have seen so far has been, you know, I I was even saying this on on Twitter is that it's not, it's not been subtle. It's, it's not been complicated, but it has been perfect. And, and they've only met one other time in singles competition. And it was actually almost exactly five years ago. Um, uh, this July it'll be five years, um, and that match um, I, I don't remember much about it. Honestly, I remember it being quite remarkable, uh, but it, it was fairly short, um, and it still ended up getting like you know four and a quarter stars uh, from Meltzer. So I, I have a feeling that you know they'll get a little bit more time. That it's going to be pretty brutal. Uh, and the thing that's fascinating to me about the potential for the matchup is that. Ishii's strike game is great. Suzuki's strike game is, uh, you know, fucking beyond incredible. His submission yeah, game is incredible. Yeah, but he's got submissions, yeah. Right. But the thing is, is that this is one of those rare times when I feel like, you know, Suzuki walks into a ring with a guy who, you know, can go with him for the strikes and then can get those big bombs and those big moves in a way that not a lot of other guys that he's faced recently on a level playing field, which I'm hoping is what they get, you know, has has had. Maybe Michael Elgin, but they didn't have a level playing field. There was so much bullshit interference with that that, you know, that Elgin never was able to land any of those big moves. So, I don't know. I, I'm stoked for it, and I don't know if it's going to happen at the G1 special, or you even brought up the fact earlier about them being in the same block at the G1, which could be, you know, really interesting. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now here's a little a little bonus. We both called the match correctly. I said that Suzuki was going to pin Ishii and was incorrect. Do you remember how you said the match was going to end? I probably said Zack Sabre Jr. over Yano, right? 
he, you said Zack Saber Jr. would submit Yano. So <laughs> very good, Sam. That was that was well. Uh, you know, you hit that Amen. one dead. That's I've, two I've matches to, I, in a row you hit dead on the mark. Now, I'm, I'm just I'm attending. Elgin, I'm attending the school of booking via Gano. I guess, um, <laughs> speaking of Michael Elgin, now we go into the fourth Man. match, which is a 60 minute time limit for the never open weight championship. It's a three way. Uh, I was I was surprised at the outcome of this match. Um, I wanted Tai Chi to win. I think we, we both picked Tai Chi. I thought there was actually a pretty good chance because it was a three-way that he would get some kind of a Weasley win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, and he almost out. did with the he mic stand did. stuff, yeah. But if you... Well, he, he laid them both out with the mic stand and then just sat there laughing and celebrating. I mean, yeah. he actually had the crowd... There was points when, they, when he did that, they flashed, the crowd was laughing hysterically. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they were just laughing with him or laughing at the point that he wasn't covering anybody or what was going on, but... Right. So... But if you would have told me Tai Chi wasn't going to win, I would have put my money that Goto would have kept the belt. I agree. Me too. Um, I I would have thought out of the three, Elgin was the least likely to pick up the victory here. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. I just didn't see it coming. Yeah. So and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No, not at all. And I, it, it's, it does bring up a little bit of a... I, I, I don't know if we should, but why do I get an awkward, uneasy feeling when we have to talk about Elgin? I know, I agree, but I think it's worth it's worth talking about because here's the thing. Like I'm not trying to make any sort of of stance on this and, you know, w- without getting o- overtly political or, or on social issues past, or whatever. So can, yeah, yeah, we have talked about it a little bit in the past. Is that I I am very left-leaning. I'm very, you know, very liberal guy. I, you know, follow the the Me Too movement. I'm, you know, I'm 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 very much a supporter of a lot of what has been happening. I'm, you know, if that turns off some of our listeners, so be it. But it's worth noting as I get ready to talk about this. Because with Michael Elgin, he's a guy that I've spoken to personally on a couple of occasions. And in one instance in particular, after an AAW show, we had a pretty long conversation. Um, he was incredibly kind. And, and this was back before all of the stuff came out, all the allegations. Um, had become public and his comments in response to the allegations had become public. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I thought the world of him, he, he talked new Japan with me for a while and he was just super cool. And I, and I thought his in-ring work, uh, the, on the three nights, um, that I'd seen him in particular was some of the best in-ring work of anyone with the exception, maybe of like Matt Riddle and Shane Strickland. I mean, just, just awesome stuff. Anyway, since, Everything has kind of gone down. It has made it difficult for me to be as on board with him. Um, That said, as time has passed, I firmly believe in people getting second chances. And like we were talking about earlier off mic, he did not commit any crimes. Did he say some shitty things that hopefully he has rethought? Yes, he did. It's worth noting that, you know, his wife has stood by him. You know, it's not like she's like, wow, you said some really shitty things and we're trying to get with this other chick, apparently, so now I'm out the door. I, you know, whatever. I'm not here to speculate on any of that. So the thing is that as far as all of that goes, I think that it's worth at least keeping an open mind about him. And again, I, any personal one, one-on-one experience I've had with him has been pretty incredible. Now, that said, I'm not a woman, and I certainly was not in the shoes of the victim in this situation. And for him to have said some of the things that he said, I do completely disagree with. But again, 
I'm trying to keep an open mind and say, hey, let's try and give this guy a second chance. Here he is busting his ass, you know, working super hard, just trying to support his family, make a living, has basically been told by every promotion in the United States that they won't have him anymore. Um, He can't even be a part of the promotion that he started. So here he is over in Japan. And, you know, again, I'm just trying to say, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not so wrong to say, give this guy a chance and see where it goes from here. He did some shitty, he said some shitty things. Yes. But it seems like he's paid more of a price than some people who did shitty things. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to stick up for Michael Elgin here, but... Sure. He he didn't sexually assault anybody. No. And, and you know what, I always try to say, like, uh, it, it, like it's it's so hard sometimes not to be hypocritical. Right. For example, I, I again, and, and I don't want to bring politics into it, but I am as left-leaning as Sam. We just yeah. happen to be... <laughs> progressive Democrats and whatever. If you're a conservative Republican, we don't care. You know, you like wrestling. We like wrestling. That's not what the show's about. But I will sit here and talk about, I have an uneasy feeling talking about Michael Elgin. But if you get me out with a couple beers, I'm going to tell you how great Bill Clinton was. Sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And that's wrong because he did some terrible, horrible shit. Yeah. Okay, sure. so I, I guess what I, what I want to say here is whenever we talk about Michael Elgin on this show, for whatever reason, we are separating that part of it out of the equation. We are talking about Michael Elgin, the in-ring worker, Michael Elgin, the character, just so everybody... I don't want anybody to sit here when we start talking about how great Elgin looked or anything, think that we are in any way trying to prop him up or condone what happened. We are just detaching the wrestling part. Yeah. Okay, and now that being said, or unless yeah. you want to add something. No, no, all, all I was going to say is that I actually thought, and as I was even watching the match, I thought, man, this is, like, had it maybe given a little bit more time, um, this is, like, a great or really, really good Indies main event. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. this is not this is not going to main event a New Japan show, nor should it. But it was it was really good, and there was some incredibly solid stuff. And and like Tai Chi was really great in the match. Goto was great in the match, and Elgin was Elgin was like super Elgin. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. really brought it. And some of the stuff he did from the Tope Con Hilo that he you know did out of the ring to the to the finish, which I thought the finish was brilliant. I love the finish. Yeah, but when he did the Tope Con Hilo, I can think to myself: Is he no longer his big Mike? Who did he become, Sam? Lucha Elgin. There you go. <laughs> I mean, he does that effortlessly for a guy, uh, effortlessly for a guy his size. Now he has dropped forty five pounds. He really has. Yeah, he, he looks, looks great. Ripped. Yeah, I, and I knew he was because on Twitter he keeps talking about he's on that keto diet or whatever they call it. Yeah. So I knew he was dropping weight, but he doesn't look like he dropped like strength or anything. He looked fantastic. No, and and you know what, Elgin is a weird combination. You don't see too many guys that are that athletic, that strong, and that big. I mean, yeah. realistically, and his in ring work is solid. Yeah, it's not like he's a big body who lumbers or whatever. I mean, in the ring, he's basically can give you anything you need. He really can. I mean, he's he's a pretty damn great package. And I think that, you know, it's funny because I was I sort of got out of Ring of Honor right around the time that his sort of ascension began. Um, And then I, you know, I kind of would tune back in and I saw a couple of his matches and I was like, God, this guy's this guy's good. Like, I like this guy. In fact, I think it was um, it was after he won the championship and there was like the one of the New Japan Ring of Honor shows. Um, and I think that, that it was... 
Oh, no, it wasn't. He was not champion. I'm sorry. AJ Styles was champion, and it was like an AJ Styles, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Michael Elgin three-way match, I think. And, and oh, I was just okay. like, I was, like, was it Tanahashi or was it Okada? Was it Okada, AJ, and Elgin, and they used Elgin to get AJ the pin without having... Yes, those, yes, you're I right, you're right, it was, Okada. It, was, right? it was Okada, yeah, yeah, and but Elgin anyway, was put in there basically so neither one of them could get the pin on the other, yeah, and he, he had kind of, glory. and at that point he had kind of been on ROH's shit list a little bit, because this was after he had sort of like decided that he was going to leave and go play baseball, and then and then after they made him champion, and then he came back or whatever, but that's besides the point, the thing is, is like the guy is, the guy is just damn good, and uh, I, I think that this title win is exciting, and it's certainly, you know, again, Whatever you think about Michael Elgin aside, from a wrestling standpoint, it, and this is nothing against Goto, because I like Goto a lot, but this certainly made me feel a little bit more interested in the Never Belt than I have in a while. Yeah, no, I agree, because, you know, Elgin is an interesting wrestler, and like you said, there's nothing on Goto, no no knock on Goto, but when I see Hiroki Goto is going to be in a match, I know what I'm getting. It's going to be solid. It's going to be good. Like, Elgin has the possibility to give me great. Yeah. And that's Which, not a knock on Goto. I mean, I don't mean it to sound like that, but... And, and now that we're both saying that, knowing that we both were hoping Tai Chi won the match. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, the weirdest part about that is, is in a way, I, I feel like, and as much as we've talked about other things making sense, in a way, Tai Chi winning made sense. And so that was sort of my expectation. It's like, it makes sense if Tai Chi wins, so that's what I'm going to go with. And then the crazy thing is, is that we kind of get surprised here by, by Elgin winning, and I think a lot of other people did too. Um, and it's cool, because it still doesn't not make sense. And the fact that he pins Tai Chi, it leaves the door open, because it looks like we're going to get a Goto-Elgin match. They which, had that stare down at the end, and, and Goto kind of nodded. Yeah. And I got the feeling, like, I was almost half expecting Elgin to just point at himself, point at Goto, point at the belt, and walk out. Yeah. So, it, but they didn't. But you got the feeling that we're going to get Elgin versus Goto soon. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, to, to just to to add to that real quick, I think that what you were saying about Goto and, and being solid is that you put him in the ring with the right people. You know, the G one finals with Omega is a perfect example, and and he can have a blow away incredible match because he does all the right things at all the right time. Sometimes, though, if you put him like if you put him in there with a guy who's maybe not quite on his level then he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't bring them up in he the same way. He doesn't elevate somebody else. Right. And so the thing that's really cool is I feel like with Elgin and Goto in a match together, you've got the potential to have something pretty special on your hands. And Elgin has proven with his matches with Ishii, his matches with Omega, his matches, you know what I mean? Like he has proven himself as somebody that can really perform and bring a, a five-star match. So I, I'm excited at the opportunity to have a one-on-one match. I think it was a great idea to do the three-way here. Uh, and, and again, this just kind of continued the streak of the night really building well. And, 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 and here we are, you know, what, four matches in, and I, it just it, the night has made sense. It's been satisfying. It's been a great build. I don't feel exhausted. I don't feel, you know what I mean? It's just... Good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I like that they added it too because you know what? You had three tag team matches to start the the night, and then right after this, you have a tag team match, then a six man tag match. So the three way broke the card up nicely. Where yes. they put it on the card, and, and like you said, I liked the idea that it was a three way. So it was something different. Somebody said it was the first time New Japan has done a three way in five years. Is that right? That might be right. Well, for a singles match. For a singles match. Yeah, for singles. I feel like I should say triple threat. 
I keep saying three-way makes it sound dirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's how they have it listed. Never open with championship three-way match. Well, if you throw Abe in there, match. it was a four-way. Yeah. <laughs> Abe. Abe. Yeah. She actually, you know, I, I thought she did some things in this match. Like she rolled oh, into the ring her at into one the point. Ring? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. there was some really, there was some kind of creative stuff that we don't normally see when it comes to the valets or the seconds, if you will, uh, in New Japan that they did with Abe. And so I was, I was, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, all right. Well, speaking of tag team matches, let's get on to one of the big ones of the night. Yes. You have the IWGP Tag Team Championship on the line. You have the reigning defending champions from LIJ, Evil, and Sonata take on the newly minted heavyweights, Matt <laughs> Jackson, Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Now, I mistakenly said on the last podcast this was their first attempt going for the heavyweight belts. Apparently, it was their second attempt. Uh, last a year and a half ago at some tour, they took on the Briscoes for the belts. Oh, uh, I, okay. I didn't know that, and I forgot all about it, and they mentioned it. To, so I don't, just for the sake that I'm not perfect, I didn't make a, a slight error, but it's their first time now as, this is their first time as heavyweights going right. for the heavyweight title. So the match goes 15 minutes, three seconds. It ends with a more bang for your buck to have the brand new heavyweight tag team champions, the Young Bucks. Yeah. And this is almost a precursor of things to come tonight. Yes. Because there's a, there's a running theme here. Uh, two themes. First of all, it makes a lot more sense when you look that they won the tag belts the same night Kenny won the heavyweight championship. It's the elite takeover, more or less. But there's an interesting streak of foreigners picking up wins and titles on this card. Yeah, I mean, we got a Canadian in Michael Elgin. We, we got two boys Canadians from California. Yeah, how about the fact that we have, out of the five singles titles in New Japan, four of them are held by Gaijins, and three of them now are held by Canadians. Yeah. Right? Because Omega, yeah. um, Jericho, and Elgin are all Canadian. Yep. Jay White's from New Zealand. If Osprey had kept the title, every single title in the company would have been held by a foreigner. With the exception of the junior tag belts, right? Every singles belt. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 In fact, the junior tag belts would have been the only ones left. Yeah. So when as this played out, you even tweeted me, they're going, they're, they're fucking attacking North America here. Yeah. Which is smart. But, oh, I mean, it and it's, but it's not a stretch. I mean, it's not like it's a stretch to have the Bucks as your heavyweight tag champs. I no, mean, God, no. It, you know, and the thing is, is like, let's talk about this match for a second because I, th- I love this match. And, and you know, 15 it minutes, it, 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 it wasn't you get long. So much. You get so much in the 15 minutes when you have the Bucks in there because you're going to get some spots that are going to be awesome. But let's face it, like, the big knock on them is they don't know how to tell a story. I don't know oh. what the hell people watch. Yeah, I know, right? The story I agree. started to take the second Nick Jackson kicked the ring post. There's your story for the match. Oh, it was he and Matt's and, back to selling the back a little bit. Yeah, and 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 between that and, and like you know Sonata going for the skull end and and Nick not being able to hit anything with his foot and you know and Matt having to deal with the back like it was so much story in this match and the thing that was kind of really great about this is that the the bucks have definitely kind of ridden the razor's edge of being a face or a heel team in a lot of people's eyes over the past year or so with a lot of the bullet club strife that's been going on especially where it's like you know are they with Cody are they with Kenny if they whatever the performance yeah. that they put on here was like 
Babyface Rock and Roll Express for 2018. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this was a clinic, and and they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt how incredible they are, how wonderful sellers they are, how how they can tell a story in the ring, how their athleticism, even though that they've amped up their weight, is still off the charts. Um, it was it was a great match. There were some really great spots, and the last like five minutes or so of the match were out of this world good. Yeah, it was um, like. The afterburners were on for the last five minutes. Yeah, and and like let's not discount. Win. Let's not discount their dance partners either, because Sonata. Oh no, no, Sonata looked. I mean, Evil looked good too. I don't want to short Evil, but Sonata, no, his athleticism jumps off the, the pages too. Yeah, and at one point, and Evil and Sonata did a great job of. Yeah. At one point, I was say, at one point, Evil and Sonata ended up hitting an indie taker of their own, which was yes. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the announce team did a great job, too, especially right when the match was getting ready to start. They're like, well, the odd thing for the Jacksons here are they might not be the most athletic person in the match. Yeah. Like, they were talking about building up Sonata. But it was just great. Like, I loved the spot where they went for the Indy Taker, and when Nick went to jump, his leg gave right out. Oh, that was sell, brilliant. Sell yeah. And he slipped off and, the and ropes. Just, yeah. Yeah, great. I mean, there's just so they're, everything was so thought out how they wanted to, to, to tell this story. Well, when they ended so, up hitting, when they ended up hitting the finish, the more bang for your buck. Like there was this incredible moment where like Matt was like willing Nick to t- climb to the top. You know what I mean? It was like it was yeah. like you could hear him like you know you could do it, get up there. You know, and it was just this wonderful moment. Um, it, yeah, I, I just I really liked this a lot. I, I think that it was. You know, we, we'd had some really good stuff before it. This was great. Yeah, and I was glad, too, because this isn't a knock on Evil and Tanada. I like them, but I felt like the the tag team division needed a jolt. Um, I think part of what happened, too, is when Evil got hurt and they didn't defend the belts for a while, they kind of got put to the back burner a little bit. Yes, yes. And, and you know, that's an unfair thing, but this gives you... A, a, gives the whole division a, a jolt, makes yeah. it you know that much more interesting. And that's not not because even Tanaka can win the belts back. I don't care. Right. It just it it puts more. It, it, like when you look at the tag title match, it just it stands out more on the card now. Well, I would love. I you know honestly, I would love to see the Young Bucks carry the titles through. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom. I really would. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I was at six months, and that's, you know, when it comes to these tag belts, that's kind of a long time. Oh, Evil and Sonata just held it for six months, right? That's Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. We'll see how it plays out, but I definitely, I, I don't think anybody's going to complain with the Young Bucks picking no. up a way to pick up the belts. And, and the, you know, one of the interesting things is, is that uh, the Young Bucks in capturing the tag titles became the very first tag team since uh, No Limit, which was Tetsuya Naito and Yujiro Takahashi, uh, to hold both the junior tag belts and the uh, heavyweight tag belts. So they, yeah. they kind of, you know, they etched their names in the history books as the, uh, the second only team to do that. Um, yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, they're also currently holding their two-thirds of the Never Openweight Trios belt. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot... A lot of different ways they could go with this. Yeah. So, now, speaking of a match, a lot of different ways you could go. <laughs> how about the six-man match that's next? Man. You have Rey Mysterio, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Hiroshi Tanahashi, basically a team of legends, taking on Marty Scroll, Hangman Page, and Cody. Um, the, only, the most surprising thing to me in this match was that it only went 11 minutes and 35 seconds. I thought it would have went a little longer. I'm not, I'm not saying that as a negative, per se, because, I, you know... It was fine, yes. but uh, 
that, and I was a little surprised at the outcome, barring some drastic thing like a heel turn by Ray or something like when I talked about that last week, what a great scenario that would have been right. last episode. I I found it hard when Ray's first match in that that team would lose. Now, yeah. saying that, I actually predicted the Bullet Club team. Because Did you I really? thought they were, well, yeah, I remember originally I was going to, and then I'm like, you know what, screw it. I say Ray's going to turn and put on the, so I'm calling the Oh, that's team. right. That's right, yes. And yes, then I yes, said, yes. I'm going to make up my prediction. So I backdoored my way into a correct prediction, even though I was wrong about how it was going to happen. <laughs> but here's what I don't get. And that's not necessarily a knock on the match because we don't know how it's going to play out. Yeah. I don't understand Cody getting the pin on Liger. I would so, understand it if Marty had gotten the pin on Liger or if Cody or Hangman necessarily got the pin on Tanahashi or even if Cody pinned Ray because then you have a match there. I don't see where Cody and Liger play in down the road. So here's what I think about that. I think that this ended up being a wonderful way to introduce Rey Mysterio to have this Legends team take on this Bullet Club team. And ultimately, you have Cody looking strong at the end of the match by, you know, by getting the win for his team, which I think is going to be important just because of what happens in the aftermath of the main are event. You, are you willing to admit yet that for the I've been right for the last two months... That when I kept telling you, you're like, no way, no way. I kept telling you, I, and I stick to it, that the main event at the Cow Palace is going to be Cody and Kenny. Yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like it. It looks like it. it. I, I kept saying that right from the beginning. You're like, no, that can't main event it. That won't main event it. I, I said right, I, and I think this just proved it. What happened so, at the end of the night. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I am, I'm willing to concede without a doubt. Um, I will say that the, one of the most interesting things to come out of this match for me, other than the fact that... Ray Mysterio Jr. looks the best he's looked in, like, 15 years. Like, physically. Yeah, like, I'm not talking about necessarily, like, what he did in the ring or, he, you know, because he didn't necessarily do a lot. But just, the like, his physical presence, his body, he, he just looks better than he's looked in a long time. Because, let's face it, when he was in WWE, there was a while there where he was just too big. He looked thick and blown up, and, and I was not a fan of that Ray Mysterio. And this looks like Ray Mysterio. He looked fit trim, uh, you know, that mask that he was wearing where that was sort oh, of like half Lion's Mark and half it. Ramus Stewart. Yeah, it was And I awesome. didn't catch it at first that he had the same design on his his jacket. Yeah. Because at first when he turned his jacket, I didn't catch I thought it was just the Lion Mark at first. And he was wearing something, he was then wearing I, face paint. I, yeah. I, I, How about I, the whole match? This was terrible, but the whole match, and I was saying from the beginning, I would have loved to have seen Ray betray the other two and join Bullet Club, right? Yeah. The whole match now, I'm thinking this might happen because why else is Ray wearing a shirt? <laughs> so he can rip it off and have the Bullet sure. Club shirt on underneath it. Sure. So I think but that he just the, was wearing a shirt as part of his outfit. The interesting thing for me um, about this match is that while we had some some definite uh, Cody Tanahashi interaction, uh, especially with like the whole push up thing um and a, you know the 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 pose down between the two of them and everything is that for me based purely on the physical encounter i almost get the sense that we're going to get an adam page tanahashi match before we get a cody tanahashi match in fact i wouldn't even be surprised if we got that match again at the cow palace or no, i agree you know I or agree. maybe it's a kazuna road you know main event or something i don't know the thing is is that i i i'm intrigued by that because all i could think in my head is that Page is not at Tanahashi's level at this point in time. Tanahashi is clearly not at the same level that Tanahashi was six months ago. So yeah. to me, it almost makes sense if Tanahashi 
struggles to beat Adam Page, which would then elevate Page some more while still, you know, while, while continuing that trend of seeing Tanahashi still be Tanahashi, but not quite who he was. He's not Tanahashi of old. He's yeah, still Tanahashi, yeah. but he's not. Is he really the ace anymore? That's right? the, the thing. He's he's called the ace, but he's not the ace. Right, right. Let me ask you a stupid question. There are no it, stupid it, questions. I love stupid questions because <laughs> there's no such thing. What's the old saying? There's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. Only stupid answers. Is it possible Rey Mysterio is wearing a shirt because his whole chest is tattooed and that's a little bit of a taboo in Japan? Like, it's one thing guys have tattoos on their arms and get away with it, but, I mean, you got a guy whose entire chest and back is tatted. Yeah. You think they, the, wore, they have him wearing a shirt to cover that up a little? You know, that could be, but I will say that the thing is is that he uh, has he has worn, like, a top, um, basically, for quite a while now. Yeah, but um, he doesn't always have it on. You know what I mean? Like... We'll see. We'll yeah, see but most of his I'm matches just, in Mexico lately that I've seen, he wears it, and yeah, I could. Yeah, you might be right. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm I don't just know. Wondering. I don't know. No, that that is a very good point though, because you're right. There is there is a little bit more just because of Yakuza, and you know, there's a little bit more of a, um, you know, if not taboo, it's a little bit more sensationalized to have like those chest and upper body tattoos. So yeah, like I mean, Cody has one small tattoo on his chest. Right. You know, and it says dream. Every, they, everybody there understands that's not gang related. That's about his father, you know. Right, Jericho's right. are most on his arms. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? All right. But I think we, we covered that match pretty in-depth. So let's get to the real meat and potatoes, not to shortchange oh, the show boy. so far. No, definitely not. Because, again, to, just to just to say real quick to kind of tag out on that one is that I, I thought it was a fun match, and uh, it was a little unexpected in, in the finish, and I, I thought it just kind of continued that trend again. It was not – like, the tag team title match – was definitely a higher point, but it was smart for them to kind of bring things down, but do it in a way that was still very interesting and very fun, which they accomplished perfectly. Because, again, putting the card in context is also important, and just seeing the rises, the peaks, and the valleys of the card as a whole, it was such a brilliant, 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 brilliant build to where we are right now. Yeah. Like you said, they're building this up, they're bringing it down. Well, they're gearing you up, because these last three matches we're going to talk about are off the charts. Yeah. Okay. We get to the Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Will Osprey versus Hiromu Takahashi. Um, the match was 20 minutes, 20 seconds, and it ends with Hiromu picking up the win via the time bomb for the pin. How good was this match? I loved this match. There was one point where I think because I was... So I had watched like the main event live, uh, but I was going back and watching the rest of the show, and I had some stuff to do today, so I couldn't do it right away. So you were actually, at this point, in your rewatch, or your watch of the show, rather, you were a little bit ahead of me. And I remember at one point just texting you, and, and the whole sequence um, that led up to... Hiromu like countering the uh, the Stormbreaker for the first time like that whole sequence was literally one of the damnedest sequences I have ever seen. It was in yeah. fucking credible. I just thought that it was it was so good. Oh, when and he hits the code red and yeah, we, we, yeah, like they started with the exchange of the forearms, which I know you don't always like, but the way that they it, did it, if it's done right, yeah, if and they did it so perfectly. Done. And then but when he, it, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, when he ended up hitting that code red 
uh, reversal of the Stormbreaker. Like, the build from the, the when they started with the forearm shots to there was literally just one of the best sequences I've ever seen. It was so good. And I, I, I just, I, I don't know. There was a variety. There was selling. There was a pace of it all. It was it, so and beautiful. And we lost right over. We forgot all about, uh, early in the match, you have Osprey's dive off the ramp. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it was yeah. sick. Was like, that was one of those moments when you're like, holy shit. Yeah. And he almost overshot it. Yeah. He was going so fast, he almost overshot it. But you're right. You're going through the whole thing, and it's just back and forth, and they're pulling out move after move. Like, when he, when uh, Hiromu uh, had him, and Osprey, and Daryl, and D, I'm sorry, and D, and <laughs> Osprey countered to get out of it, there was a second there I thought, like, Hiromu might have broke his neck. Oh, yeah, because he, yeah, because at first he did the power bomb, and then the second yeah, time that he, he held on. Right, because yeah. he held on, which was brilliant. And then when he went the second time, yeah, he basically just, like, dumped him on his head with, like, this sort of, like, uh, you know, side belly-to-belly pile driver almost. And it was, yeah, it was brutal. Brutal. Yeah, it was crazy. How about when he, uh, when Hiromu hit basically the Canadian Destroyer right into D? Yes. Oh, man. And, and you know, and I, I am fine with it, actually, because I, it, it says a lot about who he was facing. But the fact that he used that hold to beat, you know, multiple people in the tournament, then it didn't finish off Ishimori and it couldn't finish off Osprey either. It's just it, it's weird because in a way, I, you know, some people will be like, oh, they built this hold up to be something and they destroyed it in two matches. And I don't think that's the case at all. I no, just it shows that Ishimori and Osprey are on a higher level than some of those other guys. Yeah. And it immediately it immediately takes Ishimori and Osprey to like. And I don't expect them to be his first challenge or anything like that at all. But it immediately places them as the the you know the guys who are your legit threats to that title. Um, yeah. And and I just thought that overall, as you know, after the match was was over too, um, that Hiromu, the story that he has been able to tell. Um, from the beginning of the tournament until, you know, winning the belt and having, you know, Mr. Belt back. Like, that was Mr. just... Belto. Yeah, it was yeah, just... that's awesome. Yeah. How about small touches? Hiromu does so many things, like, that are brilliant. Like, I think you tweeted it out. I don't know if anybody saw the little video he put out of him and Daryl at Disneyland. Yeah. And he's wearing the Mickey Mouse hat with the, the wizard's head on it. Yeah. But, like, how about when he comes out with the trophy and he's using his arm as the broken wing? Yeah. He's using his hand as the broken wing. Like... Just small stuff. It's great to watch him do his thing. It really is. Yeah. And he's so good in the ring. I was glad he won the match. I would have been happy either way because I like both these guys. But I just Absolutely. like the, the I like the, the momentum they're putting behind Hiromu right now. Right. Well, and, and the, oh, God, what about the other spot, too, where uh, Hiromu did that running uh, missile drop kick off the apron? And it literally, oh, like, kicked yeah. the athletic tape off of Osprey. <laughs> yeah. Hit it with you such know. force. Oh, man. I mean, th- this is... Let me this... ask... Yeah. I was going to say that this is the match that after I was done watching it, I just thought to myself, that, that's, that's, I mean, if that's not a match of the year candidate right there, I don't know what is. That's why you're, yeah, that's why you're a wrestling fan. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, and then not, I'm not judging either match, just against each other. What did you like better, this match or Hiromu and Ishimori at the, the finals of the Best of Super Juniors? You know, it's, that, that is a very tough that's call That's a very difficult, I think I like this match a little bit better. Me too, actually. Me too. And I and that is not a knock because the Ishimori no. and 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 um, Hiromu match at Best of the Super Juniors was, I mean, was an incredible match. 
And I, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, it's like, damn, you know, Meltzer said it was one of the best matches he's ever seen. Now, I don't necessarily know that I was going to say that about it, but it's certainly, a, you know, one of the best matches of the past year plus or whatever. But then seeing this match, which was like 14 minutes shorter, by the way, it was just kind of like, fuck, that's that's an incredible piece of work right there. Uh, so, yeah, I think I would give this match just the slightest edge. Me too. All right. Anything you want to add on this before we go to the semi-main event, if you will? Just that, as much as, you know, we, we don't talk about it too much. I mean, we mentioned Meltzer's ratings, but we don't give our own or whatever. That I really, this is one of those cases where I can't wait to see what Meltzer rates this match. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what he ranks all three of these matches. Yeah, because yeah, for I sure. don't, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll get to that in the main event. Well, let me save my thought for the main event. Yeah. All right, we're at the whatever the second to top, the semi-main, whatever you want to call it. You have the IWGP Intercontinental Championship match. You have the reigning champion Tetsuya Naito going against the nine-time high seat <laughs> champion as he builds it, Chris Jericho. Um, the match went 17 minutes and 16 seconds, and it ended with Chris Jericho hitting the code breaker for the pin. But don't let the time fool you, because this was a lot longer than that. It was, yeah. The, there was a lot of action, and a lot of things happened before the bell even rang. So the match seemed shorter than the story was. Um, I loved, first of all, how Jericho looked completely different. Yeah, the hat and the paint, and he's wearing long pants and. And then they, I don't know if you caught it when they introduced him. They introduced him as the outlaw, Chris Jericho. Jesus, that's awesome. Yeah, he just does such a great job of reinventing his character, even like small tweaks, just to make something different. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I, I agree. I you know it, it's funny because I've been a Chris Jericho fan for twenty plus years. I mean, legit. I I, I loved him uh, in WCW, and uh, I you know it's funny because when he first made the jump to WWE, I was a little like, oh, I don't know, they they don't seem to be getting him right. And then I kind of fell out of wrestling for a while, um, or well, not out of wrestling, but out of WWE. I was actually it, it was during that time when I started watching like All Japan. Um, you know, stuff from the 90s and New Japan a lot. But anyway, uh, and then, like, when I got back into WWE for a while, it was when he was doing, like, his whole, like, uh, and he even name-checks this on one of his DVDs, the Anton Chigurh thing from um, No Country for Old Men, where he would, like, he was talking really quiet, and he was being very, like, you know, just very serious, and I think it was around the time he started teaming with Big Show and stuff like that, and I was just sort of like, man, this is awesome, and anyway, as far as someone, yeah, who, it sounds so cliche, can reinvent himself and stay so relevant and just be such an incredible presence, even when he's not actively, you know, wrestling on a regular basis, um, I don't think there's ever been anybody like Chris Jericho. I think that, you know, he has a legit uh, uh, handle on, on potential, like, greatest of all time um, because his in-ring work is incredible and that's the thing that I want to talk about with this match specifically is the way that he has been able to reinvent himself as an in-ring performer or in this case, one might even better put it out of the ring performer. Yeah. Um, just incredible and, stuff. And I love the way that Don Callis sold this because he basically dropped a line in there where he's like, for the first time in 18 years, we get to see Chris Jericho without the corporate shackles. Yeah. Like, explaining why all of a sudden he's a lunatic. Yeah. But, um, it's great. Like, he, Naito comes out. I love when Naito for a big match comes out in the suit and everything. Yep. Um, Jericho, he, he makes the fatal mistake of taking his eyes off Jericho. Well, and yeah. And Jericho 
pummels him. Oh, God. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. He he's beating <coughs> the shit out of him. He power bombs him through a table. He DDT'd him on another table. When he was going around, did you see the one old-time fan get up like he was going to attack Jericho for a minute? Yeah, yeah the, the, the guy with the, the, the bleach blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, he was super pissed. Yeah. Um, I'm dying laughing, right? Like, the here's... crowd is behind Jericho. They are. It was he's crazy. Healy's, he's being the biggest heel on the planet, and they're chanting Y2J. Mm-hmm. It's great. One of the things that you I know? honestly thought, like, and I and I mean this, I mean this in a good way. Although there was a point during the match when I was like, "Oh shit!" I kind of want to check and make sure Naito's okay. But early on, I was like, "Fuck!" Like Naito is gonna get hurt, you know? Like, I, I mean, he was brutal. That, that cut in his eye looked awful. It did, and there was a point when I literally, like, I, I, as I was watching him, I was like, man, is he, like, bleeding from the eye? Like, not under the eye, but literally, like, his eye is bleeding, and it, yeah, well, that it wasn't the case, like but... I think the cut was above his eye, right? So the blood was running into his eye and giving the appearance, and then out of it, like, down into his eye and out. So it gave the appearance, because the blood was in his eye. Yeah. No, it was, the cut was actually below his eye, because even Callis remarked on it at one point. Or it might have been Kelly. Kevin Kelly might have actually said something about how it was good that it was below his eye, not above his eye. Oh, okay. Um, well, Kevin but, Kelly also said his cheek was cut, and I think the, the blood there was coming from his ear, wasn't it? I was, well, I, well, I don't know. Or I was couldn't it from tell. his cheek? Yeah, it, I, I thought it was coming from his cheek, cheek because it looked like his cheek was kind of bruised and purple there, and it looked like maybe he'd gotten like a, a mouse there and it had just kind of split open. Um, but again, here's the thing. We're talking about this sort of stuff, and it just – really what it is is evidence of how brutal the match was. Um, yeah. Because they beat the hell out of one another. And, uh, let's and I love Naito. Like, he's all beat up. He's bloody. He's in the white suit. And then he does the, the, the most quintessential Naito thing in the world. He spits on Jericho. Yeah. As he's getting beat the shit up, he musters up the energy, spits on him. Yeah. Like, and that's such and that's, a Naito thing to do. You know, and that's one of the things, too, that I think is important to note here. We're talking about Naito taking all this punishment. It's not like Jericho didn't take his licks. I mean, there was some brutal shit that Naito did to Jericho oh, in this match. It, just, it started more with Naito getting pummeled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then Naito comes back a little bit. I mean, at one point, he, he hits Jericho on the uh, a pile driver on the, on the table. So he's fighting back. And I love, like, the context of the bloods on his, the, the red bloods on his white suit. They're going back and forth. You know, the crowd is totally a pro-Jericho crowd at this point. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So that the thing that I was mentioning on our last episode about Osaka being an interesting kind of crowd um, because they, you know, they really were behind Jericho in spite of the fact that Jericho was kind of doing heelish things. Now, that said, Naito certainly did some heelish things as well. He choked Jericho with his pants. Yeah, but they would he, boo him when he acted like a heel. Yeah. Yeah, like audibly booed him. Do you think this was a case of Osaka being a weird town? Or do you th- just think this is a guy who's only wrestled once in Japan in the last however many years? It's the first time he's in a city, so they're just so happy to see this legend that they're going to cheer for him no matter what. Um, I'm sure I, that plays into it a little bit, right? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think that it's also... I, I and. I, there are some people that are going to hate that I'm about to say this probably, and, and, and make no mistake, I love Naito. I, I am I'm a very big Naito fan, um, so I'm not I'm not trying to say this in any way that is like you know oh fuck that guy or whatever. But I think that the fans are kind of starting to turn on Naito again, which is fascinating because like. He's going to be such an interesting case when you look at his career and you look at the journey that he has taken in his relationship with fans because it's like 
they tried to push him to the moon. The fans pissed all over it. You know, then he went and he got all tranquilo and he came back and he's like, you know, and, and now the fans, you know, ate that and shit the up. the number one beloved fan. I mean, exactly. the fans, he was their, he's the fan favorite. And then, and then now what we've really seen in the past six months, if you ask me, and I, I think in a way it's the perfect manipulation because I think this is actually part of the plan. I could be wrong, but I think that this is actually part of the plan. After his loss to Okada at the Dome, there has been a slow but steady kind of recession when it comes to him being a fan favorite. And I think this was kind of the capitulation where all of a sudden the fans are just sort of like Jericho. Like you said, Jericho's special. He's an attraction. You know, they're into him. And it was sort of one of those situations where they had the opportunity to express their frustrations with Naito by booing him. Uh, and and I, I thought it was actually kind of cool. Um, one of our uh, followers on Twitter um, followers. Uh, she's actually super awesome um, and I think is, is going to be in San Francisco and, um, you know, is just, yeah, super cool person. Let me just make sure I get the name right because I want to give the shout out its due. Um, let's see here. Oh, I'm going to find it. Say something while I look for this so I don't look like a complete tool. Okay. Um, I can talk about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but I- I'll tell you one thing that I did catch. While you're looking for the name. And it's one of those small things. Jericho at one point had Naito in the wall of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. Yeah. Right? I noticed a subtle little thing I'd never seen before. You know, he has a minute, and then at some point, Naito's going to do the climb to the ropes. Jericho signals him when to do it. You can see it clear as day. Oh, when he taps him on the leg? Yeah, when he taps his thigh, and then he does it a second time. Right after that, Naito starts to climb to the ropes. I've never seen that before. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it, it happens all the time. It just the camera placement was so right on it that I'm glad you caught it too. I'm like, oh, look, I never saw him signal like that before. But yeah, you can clearly see him signaling, okay, time to move. So the funny thing about that is, is I thought two things uh, as I saw it happen. I thought, one, it was Jericho being the ring general, general that he is, you know, kind of realizing that if we're going to, you know, if we're going to, like, get the crowd with this moment, this is the time to do it. The other thing that I thought, and, and neither one of these things could be right, but the other thing that crossed my mind is, is this Jericho being like, get to the ropes because I don't want you to kill my move? <laughs> and I don't think that that was the case at all either. No, no, but, I got the feeling it was just like, okay, you Banana, you're going to get out. Now's the time to do it. Right, right. Um, so the, the person I was trying to mench, uh, mention earlier is uh, Isida Marie. I, I hope I said that right. That's that's the, her it's Twitter handle. Um, and um, she uh, had mentioned that Naito has gone back to the Stardust genius, uh, which was kind of his former persona, uh, and he needs to regain that tranquilo instinct in order to climb to the top of the world once again. The match was awesomely bonkers, and it gave us a peek of what I've been waiting for after seeing his recent Ring of Honor matches, which is Evil's uh, singles push, um, which after Jericho ends up getting the win with the Codebreaker, which I think surprised a lot of people, uh, myself included. Yeah, um, surprised. But but was very cool. Like I'm the, like there's you know there there was no point where I was just sort of like oh come on you know that was bullshit or whatever. But it yeah, was no. it was it was it was a really cool moment. Evil ended up making the save because Jericho hit Naito with the belt afterwards. Was beating up Naito. Evil comes out. The crowd pops for Evil, um, and then you know he kind of uh, had this this sort of moment with Jericho. Uh, so again, you know she's kind of talking about the fact that like she wants to see Evil uh, and Jericho in a match. And I, I'm all for that. You know, I thought evil has performed very well over the past year and a half or so. I mean, his G one performance, his match against Okada, like, I, you know, he's, he's, he's done some good stuff.
stuff. So, um, and I like evil anyway. I like uh, evil. So yeah, so I, I like, think it could I be like a really evil cool match. Once he takes off his entrance attire. <laughs> what you don't you don't like that you don't like the the size Listen, and you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting I'm not having J W Thompson or whatever uh, yell at me at Twitter again. <laughs> tell me I'm nuts. All right, yeah, no, I don't leave it at that. Um, I was surprised, and here's my my only issue with this. I have no problem in a vacuum of Chris Jericho winning this belt. It adds sure. another dynamic to, to New Japan. Just where does Naito go from here? Well, like, has anybody had a weirder 2008 than Naito? I mean, he comes in the beginning of the year. He is the hottest wrestler on the planet. Right. He has everything going. Everybody thinks he's going to win the title at, at Wrestle Kingdom. He loses. Then he gets into this uh, feud with Suzuki. Let's face it. I think a lot of people thought it kind of underperformed a little bit. I thought it was okay, but I don't think it was as great as it should have been. Oh, yeah, no, I but completely he, I completely agree with you. I, he loses I mean, that yeah. one, loses the IC belt to Jericho after, like, usually Jericho just, you know, the last time there was an interaction left him bloodied in the ring. Now Jericho bloodies him up and takes the belt from him. Where? How do you book Naito going forward? Now, there is a point in case, and they, they like to draw attention to it, that every time, it seems like when Naito loses these matches, like Wrestle Kingdom or just Suzuki here, he gets himself in trouble when he plays to the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's doing fine. He's like he fights back. Whatever he's in a situation, he plays to the crowd a little bit. Like even Wrestle Kingdom, he hit the Destino, then he egged on the crowd. He's gonna do it again, and he gets caught. Like here, you know, he had his moment. Then like he played to the crowd a little bit, and that's when Jericho hit the low blow and stuff. Do they do they die? I don't know. How do you book Naito going forward here? So I honestly believe that again, the way that they have kind of manipulated um the crowd uh with his past six months or so um it feeds into and i you know hey again as i often say i'm glad to be wrong about this but i think it feeds into the potential that we start to see a not more focused because that would feel like kind of like a sort of a determined face thing to do. And I don't think that that's what Naito does well, but I think we start to see a little bit more of an edgier Naito, a Naito who's not afraid to break the rules a Naito who's a not little bit more to... like more aggressive Naito. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think he has to do that. And I think that it will be very interesting to see where, um, Los Ingobernables goes from here because they're, you know, there was that great moment between Naito and Hiromu at the Best of the Super Juniors, which I thought was... Oh, it was hilarious. It was, it was great, yeah. yeah. Um, but I... It will just be very interesting to see kind of where they go as a unit, as a faction from here. But I have a feeling that we start to get, yeah, an edgier, more aggressive Naito. Um, because I think that if we don't see that, he's kind of, you know... Even going back to his G1 win, which was a great match, and he was incredible in, and the fans were behind him in, I think that even then, he kind of played sort of the babyface in peril, working underneath a lot, and it would be really, really great to start seeing him stop doing that, because he did it in the Suzuki match. You know, yeah, he was a little cocky in the Okada match, but at that point, he still kind of felt like you know, he, again, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't bring it to Okada. He did not. You know, if you go back and watch that match, which I really liked, I thought was a very good match. Um, he did not bring it to Okada in the same way that I think he's capable of bringing it 
in the future. So I almost wonder if the springboard from here is is a rematch with Jericho at some point, and that in that rematch we see a much more aggressive. I'm going to attack you before the bell. I'm going to do unto you as you would do unto me. Only I'm going to do it first. Attitude from Naito, which I don't think that we've seen because of Tranquilo. And I think that you know while there's something to be said maybe for say like you know being Tranquilo. I think it's time for him to stop being tranquilo and to start being pissed off. <laughs> uh, I agree. I'm going to take it a step further. I think we get a more aggressive Naito out of this, a re- like an edgier Naito. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb already. I say Tetsuo Naito wins the G1. <sighs> I do not agree with that, but all right. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. I have a feeling they're, they're, they're doing this to build him up and then he's going to win the G1. Okay. I could be completely wrong. Maybe maybe I'll tweak that prediction as we get closer and see the brackets or like see the blocks and everything, but I just have a feeling that we, that's where we might be heading. Yeah. And I think we're either going to get Naito. Or I, I actually think we're going to get Naito Okada at Wrestle Kingdom again. Okay. I think somewhere oh, oh, Kenny's going to drop the belt to Okada. We're going to get Naito winning the G1, and somehow it's going to be turn into the semi-main will be Kenny versus Kota. But we, we shall see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Kenny, save. I'm gonna see. Yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. save my prediction for that my, stuff until my, after my, the main event. That's my. That's my far out predictions. But then, speaking of Kenny and main events, let's talk about this. The ninth match of the night, the main event, is a two out of three falls with no time limit for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. The reigning champion, the 65th champion, Kazuchika Okada, trying to make his 13th title defense against the challenger Kenneth Omega. <laughs> oh, you know what? So. I'm so sorry. I don't want to derail things. I want us to okay. jump right into this match. But before we get there, I do want to ask a question because I did see it pop up a bit, you know, on Reddit and uh, okay. on Observer and on Twitter a little bit. Did you like the Naito Jericho match more, or did you like the Omega Jericho match more? Um, hmm. I you know I really hadn't thought about it. I, I think. I liked the Knight or the Jericho Omega match more, mm-hmm. but here's kind of why. As much as I liked the Jericho Naito match, I knew I was getting what might be the greatest match I ever saw coming right after it. Oh, okay? sure, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm like, okay, that was a great match. I really enjoyed it, but now let's get to the match. I can't wait to see. Where when I went into Wrestle Kingdom, I was like, yeah, cool, Okada Naito will be good, but the match I want to see is Jericho Omega. Yeah, that's like the one circled. So I don't know if it's fair to say I liked it better. It was just that where I had the importance I placed on each match and my expectations for them. Yeah, maybe not my expectation how the match itself would play out, but where it was. You know, does that make sense? That makes total sense. That makes total sense because I think that one of the things about this whole card in general is just the context of the matches leading into one another. Because I I think that I have seen cards that have had you know, better matches in certain places than this one. You know, have I seen better tag team championship matches? Have I seen better junior tag team championship matches? You know, have I seen better never matches or whatever? Sure. But when you put the card as a whole together, and and I want to say this before we get to the main event, because I want to spend a lot of time with the main event and just wrap up with that. I think when you put the card to go together as a whole, this ends up being just a beautifully paced, incredibly well done, fantastically worked, you know, cinematic card from start to finish. And 
So I, I understand exactly what you mean, and I think that like, I would agree with you. I, I think that if I was, to, you know, if we were to do star ratings, I would probably rank this one like maybe like a quarter to a half star lower than the Omega Jericho match. Yeah, it's like a four and a half star match, maybe. Yeah, that's not, that's not a bad thing. No, but of course not. That's still like a like must see match, as far as I'm concerned. I, I didn't allow myself throughout this as much as I liked it to get too high. Because I knew not only am I going to have a great match after, part of this too is that with knowing that it's two out of three falls with no time limit, I knew we were in for a long one. Sure, so you're kind of pacing yourself. Yeah, yeah, I got this great match coming up, and it's going to be real long. So I'm trying to like, and I know that sounds silly. What how pace myself? I'm sitting in a chair, but you get the idea what I'm trying to say. Like I do. I'm not. I'm not going to let myself get emotionally too high or too low. I'm just enjoying it while that was cool, and then when it's over, like okay, I'm getting a drink and get strap in because here we go. Well, and the other thing, I didn't have that feeling with the Wrestle Kingdom match because as great as Okada Naito was, that wasn't the main draw for me. Like, I sure. was invested in the Jericho Omega match more, so whatever I got afterwards. And, and I think that plays into why I didn't like the Okada-Naito match as much as most people. Because I think after I was so into the Omega-Jericho match that when it was over, I think I was spent. I you, really think I was just spent, and I'm like, ugh. You know, you know what's what funny? I mean? And, and such, there's such long cards that if that happens to you, you're done. Right, and, and what's funny about that, again, which is why this card held together so well as a whole, is what's funny to me is that I was, look, I was definitely wanting to see the match. Like, I'm not trying to poo-poo the match at all. But for me, I was really invested into the Naito Okada match. Like, that was a match that I was just sort of like, this match is going to be incredible, and I think Naito is going to win the belt, and it's going to be a really cool moment, and I was so invested in that match. But I agree with you that once... I had been through Omega Jericho, it was a little bit more difficult for me to get into the Naito Okada match, and I do feel like, even though I really liked the match, that it did not necessarily match the expectations I had coming in, and this is not, you know, we're not not talking about Wrestle Kingdom this year, we're talking about Dominion, but that said, I get exactly where you're coming from. But here's another problem, too. The placement of that card, that match on, on the Wrestle Kingdom card in the main event, you not only had this expectation that they would have a great match, and you're coming off this this war between Omega and Jericho, right? And you're like, well, it did kind of live up to expectations because it was also trying to having to live up to the expectations of the year before. Yes, like you went into great Wrestle point. Kingdom's main event before the year before with Okada and Omega giving you something that was so off the charts. That you're almost like going in saying, well, if that was a, a seven, a six star match, they almost have to try to top this. And I think they were put in an impossible situation and they had to follow this unbelievably brutal match that like I think there were so many strikes against them going into that. The, I, I know like, like myself, I was emotionally drained. They never hooked me in and I'm not shitting on the match. It's not a bad match. Right. But it didn't feel to me like the main event of a Wrestle Kingdom where Omega and Jericho did. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that, it, you know, if, if again, it's, it's, you know, when you've got two nuggets of gold in your hand and one's slightly larger than the other, it's like, you know, who cares? I've got two nuggets of gold in my hand. But if I were to have to say, you know, the, the, if I were to rank the last five, you know, Wrestle Kingdom main events, the Naito Okada one might actually be on the lower end. You know what I mean? I, so anyway, the, the, the all of that said, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I think that when you look at this match on this card, it was the perfect 
match. And that's why I ask, because if I'm looking at, if, if I'm looking at each of those two matches in a vacuum, then I say Jericho Omega over Jericho Naito. But when I look at this match in, in the context of the total card, this match was perfect. In, in so much as it, it was exactly what needed to happen on this card, it was different. It was unique. It was it was really good, and it it, it it was it lived up to everything that had come before, and it left the table open and set for what was about to happen. And so that's why, even though I agree with you that Jericho Omega would be you know the better match, if you will, this match still just felt perfect to me, and and led in so wonderfully to what you just announced, you know, before I went on a 20 minute rant, um, which the, is our the main thing event. I want to say is <laughs> on that last wrestle kingdom point. And I know that's not really what we're talking about. I just wish if I could go back in hindsight and talk, like I wish they had after the Omega Kenny match had a cool down match, something I wasn't as worried about before that main event. Mm. Would have let me collect myself and WWE. Oh, is notorious for doing that. Like you'll have like a woman's match in between or right. You know, yeah. I, I was just emotionally... I, I had no time to recollect myself and everything. But that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, we, yeah. We've spent time. Let's get to what... Let's do it. Now, let me ask you this. You said, you know, you've seen better tag team title matches. Yeah. You've seen better junior title matches. You've seen better never openweight championship matches. Have you ever seen a better heavyweight championship match than what we just saw today? <laughs> I honestly don't think so. I don't either. I mean... I think it might be the, one of the greatest matches, if not the greatest match I've ever seen. It was these incredible. These guys did the impossible. Yeah. Because how do you really top... Like, besides the Wrestle Kingdom match, how do you top that or the Dominion match? Really? Now, I'm on record saying my favorite match going into this was the G1 match, and it mm-hmm. had more to do with the situation. It made them, like, forced aggression quick. Like, they knew there was a smaller time limit. Yeah. But, like, if you look at that match from Dominion last year, it's a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece of storytelling. Yeah. The the Wrestle Kingdom match was one of the most captivating matches I've ever seen in my life. So now you trot these out. At some point, I don't care how good you are, it becomes almost impossible to meet expectations, right? Right. Well, not if you're these two guys, apparently. I know, right? Because this is insane what they did. And here's um, the thing. I want to just say this real quick. Yeah. We, we, you know, people talk a lot about certain pairings. You know, we have heard people talk about Okada Tanahashi, obviously. We've heard people talk about Ric Flair, Rick Steamboat. Hell, let's be fair here. Like, a lot of shade could be thrown to WWE's way. We've heard a lot of people talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. I don't give a shit what you say, who you are, what type of wrestling you like. Their WrestleMania main events were fucking incredible. So, you know, you talk about rivalries. You talk about chemistry between two performers. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Right. You talk about chemistry between two performers. These guys just get it. Yeah. I mean... They they, they know how to work together. They know how to bring the best out of each other. Like, you got to figure. I'd love to know what their dynamic is off camera. Yeah, absolutely. They gotta be, like, I don't think you can have four matches with this with somebody and not be kind of tight with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying they're best friends, but there's got to be, I mean, just the respect level that you have to have for each other has got to be unbelievable. Well, let me I put mean, it this way. I think yeah. that when, when, when Omega says in those interviews that he thinks that Okada is the best wrestler and the better wrestler, I think that's shooting? true. I yeah. think that, yeah, I think that Kenny Omega looks at Kazuchika Okada and is like, you're the greatest wrestler I've ever seen in my entire life. 
Like you're 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 the best. You're 30 years old and you're already a legend. Like you are. There's nobody in the history of professional wrestling that has ever been anywhere even in the same stratosphere as you. And I'm just trying to be on your level. And I think that Kazuchika Okada looks at Kenny Omega and probably feels very similarly. Now he doesn't say that, but (laughs) well, I'd love to ask this question because there was a lot of talk about like you can make the argument for either one of these guys being the best wrestler on the planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can very easily make the argument that Omega's just as good as Okada. Oh, yeah. You know, because their best matches (laughs) in their careers are against each other. Yeah. Um, And the separating thing is just Okada's this reigning champion. That's that's just booking. That's just the way somebody's booked. That's not necessarily, you know what I mean? They could have very easily had Kenny win the WrestleMania, uh, Wrestle Kingdom match and have him roll off 12 wins in a row if they wanted. Sure. But... I mean, I'm so. I, I mean, I think we think clear. These two guys don't have to be head and shoulders above everybody else, correct? Right. Well, you know, and At here's least one of the things. They do it. Here's one of the things too, though, about New Japan in particular, and 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 this has not always been the case, but it has almost always been the case, is that whoever the IWGP Heavyweight Champion is, they tend to be the best wrestler in the company, especially if you look at the past decade or so. We've had Shinsuke Nakamura, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi, AJ Styles, Kazuchika Okada, and now Kenny Omega. Now, if you can name me five wrestlers who are better than the five that I just named, I will gladly give you $100 because you probably can't, you know? Well, no, but here's the thing, too. Like, I know what you're saying. the best wrestlers, they find a way to get into that title mix and elevate them. Where, like, you want to take Western audience, like, WWE does not. You have guys on the card, like Finn Balor, who aren't the champs, but guys like Jinder Mahal and Roman Reigns, who Ugh. are the champs. You know what I mean? Like, I so I get what you're saying. Uh, and I get where, exactly where you're coming from. But, I mean, this match just had me right from the beginning. No, yeah. you know, I mean, the first 10 minutes is always going to be the slowest part of, of these matches. Makes total sense. Sure. But it didn't, I mean, by the 12-minute mark, I believe even Don Callis said by the 12-minute mark, we already had guys going over railings, out into the, over the, into the crowd. Like, Dude, didn't, that cross-body spot very, that Kenny countered with the V-trigger was oh, brutal. Man. Yeah. Oh, there was so many brutal things in here. Like when when Okada drop kicked, did the double uh, leg drop kick, and and Kenny went flying off, and he hit like ribs right into. Oh, oh yeah. You know, my wife Jess Jess was down here actually uh, when I because I I, I'm crazy and I watched the match twice. She was down here with me when I was that particular moment happened, and I literally like we were having a conversation, and I was just like, oh god, because it just looks so terrible. (laughs) It, It was crazy, like. You know, well, I should say for the record too. The first fall th- went to Okada. It took twenty-eight minutes and forty-seven seconds. Yeah. So if just the first fall would have been the longest match on the card, right? Right. Okay. So the second uh, went. One thing oh, I want to say, okay. real quick, actually, before you before you get too deep in that, because I just want you to know, because as I said, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I I actually watched the main event live. Paul was asleep for that. I rewatched it because I tried to kind of watch along with him. Um, so I ended up watching along with him, but I was a little bit ahead. And so I was, you know, tweeting some stuff out. And at one point I tweeted, um, let's see here. I want to get this right. Uh, just because I felt like it was, it was important and it'll be very gratifying for my co-host here. 
It's yeah. also worth noting that while his timing was a little off, Paul basically called the layout of the match during our preview. We both picked Omega, but he nailed the layout. I saw a few others on Reddit do the same. It's a freaking incredibly perfect layout. Logical, well, magic, yeah. drama. Well, I just figured, and I said it on our preview show, I, we both picked Kenny winning. Yeah. Um, you had him winning two falls to none to, to try to, like, okay, he is the man. Like, he just did this impossible thing. I just thought it made more sense to have Okada pick up the first fall to make Kenny, like, that much more desperate. Like, oh, he's he, down. He has no margin of error now. There's You nothing. are and absolutely the, right. I mean, there's no the, doubt in my And the commentators mind. were brilliant on this. They're like, he can't even afford a count out now. Yeah. Like, he has no margin of error at all. Which was another brilliant part of the match. Okay, I, I also, again, you know, not to go back to the tweeting that I did, but seriously, I hope you guys are following us on Twitter, because honestly, like, I, I, I tried to really pour... Well, our Twitter followers went up, since uh, the, so that's a good sign. I, well, I just tried to pour a hell of a lot into the Twitter this morning, because, um, you know, there was a lot about this match that was worth talking about, and, and one of the things that we're talking about is Okada's facial expressions. His facial expression, A, to begin the second uh, fall, was just the story that it told, the confidence, well, when he was like the, the smug. arrogance, the sneer. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are literally, and as someone who actually legitimately knows what he's talking about when he says this, there are actors who train a lifetime to be able to tell the story in such a succinct, economical manner in the way that Okada was able to tell a story with that facial expression, and they don't ever get there. Like, that's yeah. how great of a fucking storyteller Kazuchika Okada is. To compound that, the look on his face when Omega was out of the ring, and it was like he was about ready to let him be counted out, he thought that he was going to win by countout, same same deal. Like, Okada's facial expressions, just in general, but this match is a perfect example for any of the doubters that are out there, which, if there are, they're probably not listening to this podcast. But that said, like, incredible. Off the charts. Such incredible storytelling. And it, it's like, awards are bullshit. That said, give the guy a fucking Oscar. Because, like, he yeah. sold it like a million bucks. You know what I want to ask you, and we'll, we'll I'll get to it a little bit more. I, I just want to throw this out, and then we'll kind of discuss it when the match is over, like when we get to the end. Uh, you know, before the match even starts, and you're talking about storytelling, how about the video package with Omega and Okada? Oh, dude. Okay, we're all, he's all in black, and Okada's all in white. Uh, or I'm sorry. Oh, you mean Obushi, Omega and Obushi? Yeah, Obushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, 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 I know what you meant. Yeah, sorry. When he does the whole thing, he's having the flashbacks and, and the whole Bullet Club and, and everything. And then he said, what did it cost you? Did you catch that? And he's like, everything. everything and the Bullet yeah. Club logo dissolves. Yeah. And when you couple that, what does that say when we get to the end of this? Because that wasn't by accident. No. Are they all now out of the Bullet Club? Are they going to be their own group? Or I... I we're going to have to see how that whole dynamic plays out. Because, like, and here's another thing. Like, you have the, the thing, we'll get through the match in a minute, but you have the thing at the end where Cody comes out and then turns around. He's just being Cody. All right. But this huge moment for Kenny, nobody else in the Bullet Club besides the Bucks come out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, where's Marty in all this? Marty is the Never Open Trios champs with the Bucks. He, he doesn't come out. Paige doesn't come out. Yeah. And oh, here's, geez, I mean, not that they were there, but you know what I mean? You don't know. Well, and here's, here's kind of what I think about that. I, I think that when Kenny took control of the Bullet Club, it was, you know, 
the ascension, you know, of Kenny Omega from being junior heavyweight to heavyweight, the the idea that um, Bullet Club has has always been headed by a gaijin, um, that I think as as much stock as like Ghetto and New Japan puts in like Tamatanga and you know and some of these other guys, they knew that they were not the ones to be the leaders, you know, of, of the Bullet Club. So I think that in some ways it was probably for other Bullet Club members, they look at Omega being the leader as a kind of leader by default, which is one of the things that in a way led to the, you know, the tension, the split, the idea that, you know, Cody's in charge, Kenny's in charge, who's in charge, who cares? And I think with what Kenny has done, you know, since... um you know, post Wrestle Kingdom, if you will, and, and getting back with Ibushi and the Strong Style Evolved uh, match with with the Bucks and everything has just been this sort of progression of Kenny Omega, uh, an evolution of Kenny Omega, and gotten us to a point where now you know Kenny does not need the Bullet Club. You know, as as we talked about, Kenny was not wearing one of those robes. Kenny was not. Um, out there during the whole, you know, too sweet moment with the Bullet Club reconciliation. I, I, I think that as a proud owner, because I am lucky enough to live in Chicago, Illinois, and could just drive right over to Pro Wrestling Tees and purchase in person, even though they just came out today, a Golden Elite t-shirt. Um, I think that that is sort of the story. That's the statement. You know, the 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 fact that now it is more about the elite, that the elite is no longer a subgroup that exists within the Bullet Club, as we have kind of been led to believe over the past year or so or whatever, that the elite is is its own thing, and that the golden elite, this this foursome now of, of the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and Koto Ibushi, is, is its own thing. Now, sorry, I'm being a little Let long-winded here. Let me ask you a here. question. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Is, and I, maybe I'm behind on the, being the elite. Is it the Golden Elite t-shirt, what's in the box? <laughs> there are a lot of people that are saying that. It has not been revealed yet. Um, I understand. I'm saying your take, because that would be the way oh. that they're saying. Because it says, at one point, they say it has something to do with what they discussed in that room. Maybe they discussed in that room. Maybe that's the thing. Like, okay, we're with you and Coda. I, that's, I, I, that's what, I, I like that, and I hope that that is the case. Um, I, I think that it would be really, really cool if that were the case. Um, and I love the fact that it plays off of Kenny's new shirt, which has the change the world thing on there. Uh, is that the, the, the golden elite shirt is, you know, it says it's the elite in gold on the front, on the back, it's in gold, change the world. And I think that, um, I don't know. I, I, I just really, really dig the, the whole message in general and, and, you know, the relationship between uh, Kenny and Coda and, you know, the, the, the way that the Young Bucks have, have factored into that story and, and vice versa has been so great. So I, I, think, I think that that's a very good chance is that that is what we will see on the next episode of Being the Elite is that that was what was in the box. Um, yeah. And, and, and it makes a lot of sense. And it's a feel-good story, too, you yeah. know? Oh, and just for the record, it, I did some quick math in my, on here. The first fall went 28 minutes, 47 seconds. Yeah. The second fall went 19 minutes, 10 seconds. The third fall went 16 minutes, 53 seconds. So that's how they listed. If you add them up, not counting the two-minute breaks, just the elapsed actual wrestling time, I'm coming up with 64 minutes, 50 seconds. Yes. 
So they went over the hour mark, which we figured they would. Yep. But they, they kind of had I, to. I can't, I agree they had to, but they only did it by four minutes, which is smart. I think if they went out of their way to go too long, you, you can only carry people along on a journey for so long. And I think they hit the point of ending the match right about when it should have. Because like that last four or five minutes is incredible. Yeah. Like the whole match is incredible, but like it's in the, the it's in like if there's a sixth gear they hit it in that last home stretch, and that was like at basically almost at the hour mark where they the fifty five minute to an hour mark where they're like okay we're gonna kick this into overdrive and take this thing home now. So all right, you know they didn't they didn't take you along where you got too tired or you're too long. I think they hit a sweet spot. That's just my opinion. I no, I agree with you. In the interest of because I because again I was tweeting some stuff out. Uh, in, in the interest of, 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 you know, wanting to really get your point of view on some of this stuff since I kind of already have my say on Twitter, I want to just um, quickly read a couple of my tweets and get your responses to them. I love um, this because I have no idea what they are because I was watching this as Sam was doing this, so I couldn't look at Twitter without ruining this for myself. No, <laughs> and I do want to say, God damn it, I tried so hard. I like When I realized I wasn't going to wake up, I turned off notifications for everything. I went out of my way to make sure I didn't see a spoiler, and I stumbled right into the, a picture of Kenny Omega in the box with all the belts. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm when like, you, you son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah, but when you texted you me that, I felt so bad. I was like, no. And I remember and it was funny because uh, I, I had I, we were kind of texting back and forth, and you were like, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to watch it, and you mentioned that your son had come to you, like, first thing, thing in the morning. He's like, I know who won. <laughs> He's like, hey, Dad, you know who won? I'm like, no. He goes, I know who won the match. I'm like, shut up. Don't say a word. I, and now I'm, down, and I'm downstairs with this. Like, it, it, when you tell a 10-year-old not to say something, you might as well, you know, just tell him to say it. Right. Give him carte blanche. To his credit, he kept his mouth shut. And it turned out he didn't ruin anything for me. He knew who won all the matches. And, well, and I loved because your response. Because he saw something on YouTube at 8 o'clock this morning or 8.30 this morning. But, like eastern time he's like oh yeah i i already kind of knew that jericho won and he wasn't watching with me he's like yeah he he kicked uh naito below the belt and then like he knew everything that happened <laughs> so the 10 year old was able to keep it quiet and you know what it's my own fault i went on facebook but i had like basically i don't get a lot of spoilers on facebook because there's not a lot of people that i'm friends with on facebook are gonna watch a lot of new japan wrestling besides you and i knew you weren't posting anything no, so yeah. I was basically staying off YouTube because they their YouTube channel happens to spoil things for me a lot. And Twitter. Twitter's the big one, right? Right. A guy I work with put a shared a post. It was a from a video game site. And I in, in not realizing because, you know, it's a video game site, and he posts about video games all the time. I scrolled right into it, and that was the photo. It was Kenny with the I, with the IWG heavyweight champion, IG, uh, IWGP heavyweight title. I'm Kota Bushi and the Bucks with them with the tag belts on. I'm like, <laughs> so it not only ruined one match, it ruined two matches. Yeah, you know, which is funny because uh, I ended up, you know, again, I watched the main event live. When the Bucks first came out, I didn't see, they, they didn't have the belts uh, with them. And so I, 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 I was like, oh, they must have lost. And then, of course, I watched all the way through the, you know, the post-match and everything else, and I was just sort of like, oh, okay, well, I, okay, so I've had two matches that, spoiled, you know, whatever. That um, being said, I didn't feel cheated. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It oh, just yeah. would have been... A little bit better at some of those, like there was some some of the moves right at the end of the match. You would have, if you didn't know the outcome or watch it live, you would have really got the feeling like, wow, they're actually going to keep the belt on Okada. Like there was moments when you were like, oh my god, they're actually going to not 
pull this trigger, are they? Totally. No, when I I'm agree. I'm watching this knowing, all right, I know he gets out of this. I know he gets out of that. You know what I mean? It was yeah. still worth watching to see how it all played out. Well, I just kind of wish I didn't know. And it's my own fault. I should have just woke up. I should have did what you did. Instead of trying to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I should have woke up at 6 or 7 and just came down to watch the end. Yeah. The most I could have ruined for myself would be like the tag match or something. Right, which is kind of low stakes in the end. But okay, so in the interest of, of all that being okay. said, though, no, I do. I, I kind of want to get. I want to kind of get your take on some of this stuff. So one of the first ones that I threw out there was I love the way the Osaka crowd was so behind Kenny Omega. They were as much a part of the story as any of the guys in or outside the ring. So good. Speaking of the drama of Abushi being there, the towel. You know, the way that he looked so concerned over Omega, etc., all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I went on to say the post-match, epic storyline, perfect match of the century, um, which could be hyperbolic, but I don't care. So, yeah, so yeah what's your response to all that? Your take on okay. that? Okay, first part, the crowd. Completely agree. Not only they were behind Kenny, I loved small moments of that. Like when he hit the Styles Clash and they chanted AJ Styles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, just brilliant stuff. Um, as far as Abushi, here's what my take. I didn't. I liked Abushi being out there, but if I had watched this not knowing the outcome, it would and not knowing like seeing the picture of Abushi in the ring with him. Even if I knew oh, Kenny won, right? I could have sat there the whole time thinking, "Oh, he's on the rope. He has, he has a um, towel in his hand. Is he going to do the unthinkable here?" Yeah. But I knew how it played out. That was the problem for me. I already mm. knew that Kenny was going to win, and I saw the photo where Abushi's with him. Okay, so I sure, knew it sure, wasn't sure. going to happen. So it took that. That was like the, the 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 saddest part about knowing is it took that whole element out of it for me. So here's like, what you know I want. Yeah, no, I get, I get exactly it what you're saying. Because there's like, and they draw, like even Don Callis even said, "What is he doing with that towel? Right. Like, Tell him get that towel down." Like, which is kind of my, the response that I wanted to that, that I wanted to throw in real quick is that yeah. uh, because of the way first of all I mean all night long Kevin Kelly and Don Callis were incredible this was probably the best show that they have had uh, as announcers in their tenure yeah. announcing for New Japan it was incredible work and one of the things I loved so much in particular from Kevin Kelly although Don Callis as well because um, he's the color and he's not supposed to yeah and he's but, supposed to have the funny moment you know what I mean like, right but that said both of them. They treat it so much like it's a real sport that it oh. helps to sell the, the what the action in the ring so perfectly. And the the attention that they paid to the towel, and again, you know, I mean, I, I was watching it live, so I, it wasn't spoiled for me. It was so, I don't know, it, it was a point of, of, of tension for me that I, as I'm watching it, I'm just sort of like, God damn it, he better not throw that towel in. Like, what's going on Yeah, because here? you're thinking it- to yourself, too, if you're watching live, like, oh, my God, this would be the perfect way to split them. Right. But it was screw Kenny into, like, but he, uh, the two, my two favorite lines of the night, one was funny, was when Don Callis was talking about Tai Chi's trunks being a, a lady size two panties. <laughs> yes. Okay. But my favorite line of the, my favorite thing of the whole night he did, and it plays into what you're saying, that he not only treated it like a real event, he kind of wasn't hiding the fact that he wanted Kenny to win. Is yeah. when they had the, I think it was after the second fall, they were taking the two minute break. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Gato was stalling. Yep. And he just says right on the mic, he's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Get him out of there. Like, he's not calling it down the middle. He's, he's, he's like almost playing it off like he's trying to and he can't. Yeah. But like, and when Kenny wins, he's almost speechless. Like, he sounded like he was going to cry. Yeah. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, he just did. So they did. And I, I always talk about Dan Cows because let's face it. It's always the color guy who's going to get the funniest, biggest moments. Sure. The sure. other guy's got a lot more work to do. The color guy's got the easy job. Well, 
easier. He gets to sit back, and if he's witty, can just drop one-liners and look like a million bucks. But right. I agree. They they made it feel... And, and Don Callis also dropped my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes ever. I tell people all the time, no matter what it is, like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. And he used it today. <laughs> yeah. You know, and every yeah. time somebody says, I got a plan for that, I always say, oh, well, you know. But uh, I agree. They did a great job of making it feel like a, not only a real fight, but a, a big fight and a big event. Yeah. All right. So my next my next uh, okay. thought tweet here for you is a uh, couple of thoughts. The stuff they did on the outside added so much drama. Never throw away. Everything meant something. And then the second thought is 25 minutes in and it doesn't feel like it at all. Match was so even for the first 30 minutes. Yeah, um, the first part of that, I totally agree. I've never seen two guys that do a better job of, like, putting a table somewhere and then coming back to it 20 minutes later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like you said, like, when they go to the outside and Okada does his patented crossbody over the rail, Kenny V-triggers him right in the well, the face or shoulder or arm or whatever. But like you said, they go into the crowd. It wasn't They weren't out there just to do it. Everything they did out there had a purpose. It was part of the story. It had a reason. So, you know, you can't beat that. And, like, I agree. Like, you're 25 minutes in, and then I, I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't feel that long. Yeah. But then you're hearing them make the announcements, and they're saying, oh, we're 20 minutes in, we're 25 minutes in. Then you get to a point where, like, could they possibly, like, at one point, at about the 25-minute mark, I'm thinking, would it be beyond them to go an hour before the first fall? Right? I know. Like, you never rule out anything when it comes to the way they booked this. I mean, they could go an hour with no falls and then have three falls in 10 minutes. Because they're exhausted or whatever. I mean, I think we got the first fall three minutes later, almost four minutes later. So, and it was Okada, which added the whole element of desperation. And they did a great job of saying that. But yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I like. I just thought the way they paced it was great, and the, the work they did on the outside was never just to be out there. And speaking of which, I just want to throw this in here because again, going back to the fact that you really did call the layout of the match perfectly because it was, yeah, your timing was a little off, I think, but it wasn't just that you said that Okada would get the first fall, but you pretty much called the way that he would get the first fall, that it would kind of be a pin out of nowhere, that it would be kind of a surprise thing, and he, it wasn't even off of a big move. It was basically he just collapsed onto him, cradled the legs, yeah, exactly, yeah. and got the one, two, three. Now, it's well, funny, because if you go back and watch it, like, and I didn't notice it the first time around, really, but on the rewatch, like, if you really watch it, and it's and it's a testament to, to the ref job that, that Red Shoes did, is that it kind of almost looks like Kenny gets the shoulder up. See, I didn't notice. But, but the thing is, is that Red Shoes is positioned kind of in front. So it's a really interesting sort of moment. Like, that doesn't play into the story or anything, but it was just interesting to watch. But yeah, you were right. Like, Okada gets that pinfall, and he gets it kind of out of nowhere. And it really did. It, for me, as I was watching the match, it... I, to, to steal a phrase for something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Dobbs, it made my butthole pucker a little. I was like, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> well, my, my, my thought process was was the fact that I, I figured Okada would get the first pin, to, like I said, to make Kenny have to be desperate, no margin for error. But I thought if he got a pin, a sneaky kind of pin out of nowhere, it would prove not only to Kenny, well, I don't even need to hit you with the Rainmaker. I can I can pin you. Yeah. So now it makes everything he does for the rest of the match so much. Because you're thinking to yourself, if he already got a pin... On that, he can get a second pin anytime. They're willing to pull out anything in this. Right. But he doesn't necessarily have to have a Raymaker to do it. And it played I do in... like the fact that Kenny got his via the one-winged angels. 
Yeah, which I'm going to get to in just a second, because the other thing that I wanted to add real quick, which is something that I kind of already mentioned, it really played into the arrogance that Okada had at the beginning of the second fall. Like, he was just so cocky and so confident for, you know, the bulk of the next 20 minutes. But then the interesting thing, and this was one of my other tweets, so I really want to hear what you have to say to this, is... Once Omega takes control in the waning moments of the second fall, he's so methodical. Like his interviews, he knows what he needs to do. He knows and trusts his arsenal. Exhaustion is setting in two, but he calls his shots, makes them count, and builds to the one-winged angel for the pin. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Kenny, he's a ring general. He, they know exactly what they're going to do. But the way they get to it, too, like um, Omega ducks the Rainmaker and hits, I'm going to use it, he hits his version of the Toa Bottom. <laughs> okay, they, they call Iranagi. it a Spike Iranagi, but yeah. I'm calling it a Super Toa a Bottom. <laughs> all right? But then he hits him, but like, so he sets it up and then he hits him with a vicious V trigger for the. But I know what you mean. It was like, because it, it, it's all about him after he hits. Um, What's he hit? He hits. He gets hit in a two. Uh, Okada hits a tombstone. Yes. And then and then Kenny gets uh, gets up. And then after that, it's a methodical plotting wait until he gets to the first one wing angel to tie it up at one one. Yeah. Um, uh, now after that, I know this yeah. isn't really the question. I love that after the two minutes, and this is when when Don Callis is telling him this is bullshit. Get him out of there. That Kenny just goes for broke. Like he's yeah. going for that second pinfall right out of the shoot. So let me and let me let yeah, me okay, read my ahead. tweet to you real Am quick though. Because it's so it's so perfect what you just said. In contrast, Omega starts the fir- third fall at a frenzy and pays for it with a rainmaker, but Okada can't capitalize. They're drained. What was once easy or normal is now almost impossible. Such incredible storytelling from both men. This is a masterclass. Yeah, I mean, Kenny goes, and it, it, logically, it makes total sense. Right? You just got the second pinfall. You're you're up. The other guy just got hit with the, your finishing move. How much can he shake off in two minutes? It's kind of like the idea of a boxing match. When you have a guy, you knock him down, he gets up, but he is out on his feet, and the bell rings. And he's going to get that minute. The, you know the boxer's coming, the other guy's coming out a minute later when the next round starts to kill him. Right, Because right. how much could he have regained in a minute? So it's yes. that idea. Like you wouldn't if you're if it was just kayfabe this thing for a minute. If you're Kenny Omega there, what where would the logic be in playing it safe and holding back? You 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 have to pin a guy that basically nobody's been able to pin in two years yeah. a second time. You got him on the ropes, go for broke. Yes, and he pays for it. But but Okada's so banged up that he can't capitalize. Yeah. But what that does is now and smart storytelling too because now you get to the third fall. The second that happens, they're starting. They basically are starting this fall on even footing now. They're both down on the canvas. They're both yep. on their back. Nobody has an inherent inv- advantage. Yeah. So it's almost like starting a new match at that point. So exactly. it was really smart on that point. So my no, I completely agree. And my next my next tweet, which skips forward just a little bit, is was after Kenny hit the Styles Clash. And the Styles Clash was not only a statement for this match and feud, but a deeper callback to Kenny's G1 victory against Goto, because he used it there, his taking the helm of the Bullet Club from AJ Styles, Okada's feud with Styles, and how deep Kenny's arsenal truly is. And I didn't get to tweet this, but I will add on to that as we're talking. It was also a wonderful example of how 
Kenny can just kind of call it on the fly, if you will. Because this was not like he didn't set him up for the Styles Clash. He just no, happened to I, catch I, him in a position. I loved the look on Kenny's face. Yeah. When he basically basically realizes he has him in a Styles Clash. Right. He gets that little sadistic smile that he gets every once in a while. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And then he hits him. And, um, you know, like you said, because he did it in the G1 final against Goto, right? Because he used that move. He used um, he used Balor's move. He yeah, used, uh, the Bloody um, Sunday, yeah. You know, Bloody Sunday. I couldn't remember the name of it for some reason right off the top of my head. I'm so enthralled in this match. But, um, yeah, it's like a callback to the, his journey to get here. Um, they're doing a great job with everything. They're going back and forth. And, and like, right after that, he hits, like, a super V-trigger and Okada's back. Yeah. He, oh. At one point when he kicks out, even Red Shoes is selling it. I don't know if you noticed the one point, like, Red Shoes jumps up like he can't believe what's going on. Yeah. You know, my one of my favorite parts of the match, and this, this again, I wish I was I would have saw this without knowing who won, is you get them one fall each, right? Yeah. They hit, it's towards the end. They hit their moves and everything. They're both on their backs in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And Red Shoes start, Shoe starts the count. The count, yep. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God. And you can you can audibly, if you go back and listen to that, you can hear the crowd get nervous. Yeah. Like, everybody's thinking, oh, my God. Because you don't know in New Japan, they would absolutely have the balls to end a match like that. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're telling me when you're watching that live, you're thinking to myself, oh, for, even for a second, oh, my God, please tell me they're not going to do this. Right, right. No, I, I agree. It just added a whole nother dimension because what would it, it would have been a draw. It, yeah. So, okay, I completely agree with you. And and one of the things that happened out of all of this that was incredible that I ended up tweeting to get your response to is Kenny uses red shoes to pull himself up and then gets cut off by Okada. It was at this point I started to think Okada would retain. Then there's the one-winged angel out of nowhere. And then, and and, and this is exactly what I typed, the Rocky moment when they're both leaning on the bottom rope trying to get back up and the crowd is chanting for Omega. It legit reminded me of the ending of Rocky 2. Like I'm just watching this and I'm just sort of like this is this is a movie. This is cinematic. This is this is like beyond this is everything yeah. that I always thought that wrestling could and should be, but so often I never saw. And part of it was, and I believe this, and with my theater background and my film and television background, I feel like I can say this without a doubt. Part of it was not trusting yourself and not trusting the audience. So many times you see wrestling matches that go a certain way because they've been planned out to go a certain way. In this instance, you had two incredible talents in the ring that trusted themselves and each other and the audience. And I believe that... they knew the audience was getting what they were selling. Exactly. And so, in this moment, like, the match went from being just a classic wrestling match to something cinematic and legendary. Yeah. My only minor thing with that, and it's not a gripe, it's just, you know, my opinion is I wish they didn't do the one-winged angel spot out of nowhere there. I wish they would have done something else, then had the Rocky moment, and end it with the one-winged angel completely out of nowhere. Mm, okay. I would have liked that finish a little bit better, because when, it, but it, that's not nitpicking. It's just I would have preferred, but it was still unbelievable. I get what you're saying. But, like, I almost wish it ended with that one-winged angel completely out of nowhere with no setup or anything, just bang, 
for the one, two, three. Like, oh my God, what did he just pull out of his ass to, to, to win this? <laughs> sure, but sure. I don't have a problem with the way they did it because, like you said, that Rocky moment where they're pulling themselves up and the crowd is so into it. And you're talking at this point, you got to be, in, they're an hour into this. Yeah. Because this is right at the end. Well, not only that, not only that, Paul, the fucking crowd's been sitting there for like four hours. Yeah, I, it's crazy. I know, um, and they were so into it. Well, how could you not be into it by that? Well, point? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you had the, like, I loved where Okada hit the Rainmaker, but he was, like, so gassed it didn't even really do Oh, anything. he just fell? Oh, that was yeah, such a just, great like, moment. Yeah, he just, fell. So, like, you had that going on. I mean, how many times in that third fall was Kenny going to get hit with the Rainmaker? Yeah. Which is great, because at any point you're thinking, oh, I just got hit. They're going to do it. They're going to do this to me again. Right. Well, and that's the other thing, too, that was incredible about the storytelling of the match is that the times when Kenny would, you know, try to get Okada up for the one winged angel or that, you know, it, the, the thing is, is like they these guys were going for broke, you know, so many times you see a match where it's like a guy gets in position, he hits his finisher, the match is over or the guy kicks out of the finisher or whatever. But in this match, it was not it was it was a case of the respect that was had for each other's finisher was that. I can't afford to get hit by this. At any point in this match, did anybody kick out of the other one's finisher? No, I don't think so. I know there was instances where they got hit with it and the other guy was too weak to capitalize. Right. But there was no instance where somebody actually got hit with the move and kicked out of it, correct? Yeah, I don't think think Kenny kicked out of the, the, the Rainmaker. I don't think he did, no. I don't believe so. And I know he only hit two one-winged angels, and they both got pinfalls. Well, he hit three, actually, but the the, the second well, one was the one Well, I meant two that he covered. Oh, right, two right, right. He yes, that he, hit, that he hit the cover I, I should have said that, which, yeah. which, which, again, just to, just to throw out there, I finished kind of my tweet storm, if you will, with Kenny does it, V-Trigger, one-winged angel, one, two, three, new IWGP heavyweight champ. I don't do star ratings, but this has got to be the best of their four, and we all know what those got rated. Okay, well, the highest-rated one after, uh, previous to this is the Dominion match. Yep. Okay. Six and Wrestle a quarter Kingdom stars. Got, Wrestle Kingdom got six. Yep. From, from Meltzer. It got six and a quarter at Dominion. Yep. The G1 got what, five and a half? No, the G1 got six as well. It got six. So it yeah. was six, a six, and a six. And a half. Just by those standards, this has to be a six-and-a-half-star match at least, right? Yeah, I think so. It's either six-and-a-half I mean, or six-and-three-quarters. I almost wish you'd just kick it up and say, screw it, seven stars. This is seven stars, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm never going higher, and I'm never going up, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Just because it plays into Omega's, like, his character, his stick. He's the best bout machine. He's How many times in the past have I said he's broken the Melter scale? Yeah. You know? And, and again, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, though, I, I mean, so much of the credit has got to be thrown Okada's way. I mean, the the fact is, it's like, there was this moment where it kind of almost felt like Omega wins, get Okada out of there kind of deal. Um, and, and, and Okada ended up actually tweeting after the match, thanks, IWGP, thanks, guys. And th- so many people, you know, uh, English-speaking, Japanese-speaking, were responding to that tweet. And so much of the response was thank you. And I think yeah. that, you know, we have to mention, because we're going to talk a little bit more about Omega going forward, but we have to we have to mention that Kazuchika Okada is legitimately, at 30 years old, let's not forget yeah, that. he is unbelievable. One of the greatest wrestlers who has ever graced God's green earth, to steal a phrase. 
And and we have not seen the last of Kazuchika no. Okada with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I think no. we're both assuming that by the time he's done, he's going to also have the record for the most reigns, correct? Yeah, I he's think gonna so. He's going to get to at least eight. Yeah. I you think know. so. And I think that one of the things, so a lot of people, especially a lot of North American fans, I don't know if the Japanese fans were talking about this because, I, I, again, not, you know, not speaking the language or reading the language, although I'm starting to get a little bit more familiar with it and I'm studying a little bit, so we'll see where that takes me. But uh, I don't know that that has been a strain of conversation over there. That said, there have been a lot of North American fans or English-speaking fans that have kind of started to try to, before this match happened, compare his reign to Kenta Kobashi's reign um, in in Noah uh, that lasted for like over two years. And the thing is that Okada's reign is already better than that reign. And I know for some for Kobashi fans or people that have some sort of you know romanticizing over the number of days a title is held. That's blasphemy. But the thing that you have to understand is if you go back and look at Kobashi's reign, there were some throwaway matches in there. I love Kenta Kobashi. I'm a huge Kobashi fan. I like the first wrestler that I would create in any of the video games that I bought for the past like 15 years was Kenta Kobashi. So I'm not trying to bash Kobashi at all. That said, if you look at his reign, there were some throwaway matches. There were some less than matches. If you look at Kazuchika Okada's reign as IWGP champion this last time around, there aren't any throwaway matches. There are some matches that aren't as good as some of the others, but his reign and his defenses were, I I mean... Legitimate defenses, like legitimate threats to his belt. Yeah, this is the greatest title reign I have ever seen. I, 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 I mean it. Yeah. Speaking of grace, uh, how about this? This these four matches, right? Let's just say if Melcher gives this match a six point five, okay? Yeah, they're going to end this with their four matches averaged a six point one nine rating. <laughs> it gives, if he gives it a six point seven five, they're going to average a six and a quarter star match. And if he does the unthinkable, and never gave it seven, their average would be six point three stars per match. Just think about that for a second. I mean, they are they are legitimately they're they're some of the greatest matches I've ever seen. And 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 I and I am willing to not just you know lay this at the feet of, of Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada. I, I think that, you know, there have been other great matches that have taken place that both of these guys have been in, including the G one finals with Naito and Omega, including, you know, Okada's matches with Tanahashi. But like these guys are magic. And if for whatever reason you're listening to this podcast and have not watched all three of the matches that came before this match, you need to watch them. And yeah, you may know the outcomes, but you need to sit down and really watch these matches because I, 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 I did not watch the Dominion match live. I knew what happened at the Dominion match before I got the chance to watch it. It did not change my opinion of it at all. You know, uh, I, again, these these matches are so good and and just a pleasure to watch. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, you're not going to get much better than this. And the fact that you can watch them with English commentary, if the Japanese commentary is like a turnoff to you or whatever, you got no excuse. And the fact that Kevin Kelly and Don Callis have literally turned into one of the best announced teams ever, as far as I'm concerned, is quite remarkable. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that they're calling matches that are some of the greatest matches ever, 
but seriously, they, they, they do an amazing job. So I, yeah, I, I mean, if, if I could give this match a star rating, I absolutely would give it at least six and a half stars. Cause I think it is the best match of the four matches that they have had. Yeah, just based on what the other matches got. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd love to ask you where everybody goes from here, but I think we should save that. I think we've talked now for two hours about this. I think we should digest this and we'll have some, if we, we can talk on our next episode about where people, how we think a lot of these things play out, you know, well, um, moving uh, forward, because, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to slightly overrule you on that just for a second. And the reason why is because I started to st- say it at the very beginning uh, of the podcast. So I want to wrap it up by saying this, okay. that I think it watching the post match that, you know, again, the attention that is paid to Kenny and the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi and Ibushi, the way that he looks, it's subtle, but again, it's incredible work by him that I I think, based on what you said earlier for your prediction, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there that Kota Ibushi will win the G1, that Kenny Omega will retain the title through Wrestle Kingdom, and that the main event of Wrestle Kingdom is going to be Kota Ibushi versus Kenny Omega. I think that that's what's going to put asses in seats at the Tokyo Dome. I think it's going to be an incredible payoff to a decade-long storyline, and I think that that is what the world needs, and I think that we got a lot of, you know, prologue, if you will, to that story in the post-match of this. Well, well, you could be right. We'll have to see how this plays out. <laughs> but we're we're pretty much going on the assumption now that the four of them are their own group now. They're the golden elite. Yeah. I got the t-shirt, baby. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> you get to live in a, sh- a city, you can shoot over to the place they're made. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, but that's cool. Uh, but uh, you got anything else you want to add about Wrestle, or Wrestle Kingdom Dominion? No, I, think we I covered just said, it pretty much at length now. Uh, yeah, we really did. We went very deep and a little bit longer than even I thought we would. I, I'll just say, just to wrap up, that it is. It's probably one of the best cards, top to bottom, I've ever seen, just because of the way that it built and the you know the, the context of the matches. There might be cards that I have seen that have had like you know more five star matches or whatever on it or whatever but it just as a card as a whole this card was beautiful i loved every second of it uh i had so much fun watching it um you know the last three matches just really blew me away i loved that junior heavyweight singles match I, i'm so glad Hiromu won the main event was one of the best matches i've ever seen um and i'm so glad Kenny Omega is the champion i think it's the right way uh, to go and i can't wait to see the match announcement for the G1 special. This will tell you how good this show was. That Now, I had to watch it and pause it in between matches and you know other stuff. I have kids in the house or anything and stuff to do. But I basically spent the last 10 hours of my life watching and talking about this show. <laughs> and I'm not upset about that or uh, you know burned out about it at all. As, as fact, our wives and your later, kids will yeah. say... <laughs> There's a couple points in this. I might even rewatch a little bit of this later tonight. Um, I think I'll wait on the main event and let that sink in for a while. But there's little things that I missed that I might try to check out or at least watch the YouTube channel for the highlights and or see what's up. But, yeah, I mean, you can't find I, – I don't think I've ever witnessed or, like, watched a better overall wrestling car show in my life. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the best because I'm not – I haven't seen every show there ever is. Just from what I've seen, top to bottom, this this had no clunkers on it. It had no points where you're like, oh, I want to go to the bathroom or whatever. This was, but they they paced it the way they paced it out, the way they laid the card out, the way they did everything was just perfect. Yeah, 
So with that being said, that's all I got. Right on. All right. Well, in that case, we're going to go home. Um, thank you so much, listeners. Uh, I, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier. We we had a huge spike in downloads this past week for our newest episode. Um, and, you know, we've got more people listening to us now than ever. So we are so grateful for all of you, and we really appreciate it. Uh, we've had a lot of great interactions on Twitter, some good interactions on Reddit lately. We encourage you to keep reaching out to us. You can find us at KOPW72 on Twitter. You can reach us, uh, of course, on the website, KOPW72.podient.co. Uh, you can stream all the episodes there. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. But we're very grateful for all of you. Um, We're really looking forward to continuing this discussion and the dialogue as we go forward, especially uh, as we get closer to All In. We will be on Podcast Row for StarCast and uh, any other podcasters who are going to be there, uh, you know, obviously our our, uh, friends over at Hitting the Marks, um, you know, Mike Jargo, uh, who had us on the show last week with him. We're, We're grateful for that. We're looking forward to having some special guests in the near future future actually uh we we did some um kind of throwing some stuff out there uh so hopefully we'll be able to have some special guests and and get some interviews in in the near future as well but uh thank you all again and uh we hope you enjoyed dominion as much as we did hit us up on the twitter reddit etc let us know what you thought and uh we're gonna catch you next week uh it's gonna be a little bit of a slower week so we won't be as long-winded but this i feel like uh deserved the time we've spent So thank you very, very much. Everybody take care in the meantime. And uh, Paul, why don't you uh, sign us off of here? Yeah, everything Sam just said. <laughs> that's 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 gonna say. But no, thank you very much to everybody who listens. Uh, you know, if you do listen to us on iTunes, hit that subscribe button so you can get the the uh, episodes delivered right to you. But uh, no, what a wonderful experience we've had with this. Honestly, yeah, it's, been it's, awesome. it's made my fandom of New Japan even better. It's made me watch matches in a different way than I have before. It makes me look at the, the whole thing differently. And uh, it's been nothing but fun, yeah. honestly. It, uh, you know, my favorite part is when we get interactions on Twitter. That's the totally. fa- my favorite part of the whole thing. So if you listen to the show, tw- send us a tweet. Whatever questions you have, your comments, you can disagree with something we said, agree with us, whatever. Right. Just well, tweet and it out yeah, there. Speaking we'll of which, like, J.W. Thompson, our buddy over on Twitter, he he did. He was not a fan of the uh, outcome of the main event. Uh, I think he liked the match, but he, he was not well, uh, happy that J.W. Omega won. Thompson had also tweeted out earlier that there was no way somebody was going to pin Omega twice in one night. Yep, yep, yep. So he set himself up a little bit on that one. Um, but in addition to that, like uh, Isida Marie and Katrina Braxton, uh, some of the folks that have been, uh, you know, kind of playing with us on Twitter, we really appreciate you all. And, um, you know, John and Stacy. Uh, yeah. You know um, what, too? We did get some Wells, to it. Sarah Gatowski. Yeah, Will Wells. We'd send out a shout to, we, uh, we haven't talked about our buddy Wilford a little bit, so check out his blog. Yes, newjapan-us.com. And also, while you're over on the iTunes hitting the subscribe button, why don't you just float over to the music and maybe uh, 99 cents buy yourself a song by the Hales, especially yeah. Bronco, which you're about ready to hear just don't a snippet of. Don't spend 99 of. cents. Spend $5. Don't be cheap, guys. Buy their EP. Come on, they help us out. You know, Sam lowballs this thing. I shoot high. <laughs> All right, I shoot high. Buy their EP; it's good. You're a beautiful promoter, my friend. And I if, love if, you. Yeah, if you buy the EP and you don't like it, Sam will refund you. <laughs> <laughs> 
solved. No, yeah, but won't. in order to get your refund, no. you have to come to StarCast and stop by our table at Podcast and say that you didn't like it and you want my money. And if you do that, I will. I'll give you five bucks. I'll do it. Yeah, you better be careful what you say here. <laughs> Yeah. So. All right, all right. We're gonna get out of here. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Dominion was awesome. Paul, thank you. Uh, thank and you. we will uh, talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye.